0: Welcome back to Double Oz 7, the best James Bond podcast that starts with Double Oz in the name. Absolutely uh, excited for this one. We're here for episode 13, uh, the 10th film, the first anniversary James Bond movie, 1977. In some ways, Bond goes disco in this one. We're up to the spy who loved me. This is so exciting. I think this is the Movie that all of us have been looking forward to seeing after the dark days of Guy Hamilton in the 70s. (laughs) Uh, So join us for the next few hours as we discuss Roger Moore's great, uh, maybe all-time great movie. I am Colin Hilding, the guest of honour at Ahmed's Tea Party.
1: Uh, My name's Noah, and nobody does it better than me.
2: And my name is Ben, and forgive me, I might have to leave someone uh, sometime during this podcast, because England might need me. (laughs) This, this movie is
0: very like uh, Cold War for England and Russia. There's patriotic. Um, very patriotic of this movie, like right off the bat. So we'll get into that pretty quickly. Um, before we get into any of the specific details of the movie, uh, The Spy Who Loved Me, the 10th movie, uh, initial impressions of the movie. Uh, for me, I'm going to say that I, I've said this almost with every podcast we've done, but I watched these out of order, and I always ask people, you know, what are some of the best Bond movies, and I always intentionally left the two best ones, or the ones that I heard were the two best for last. And I was always being told, From Russia With Love and Spy Who Loved Me. So uh, this was the second last Bond movie I ever saw, and I was convinced with From Russia With Love that it would probably hold up, but having seen all of the other Roger Moore movies and liking them but not loving them necessarily, I wasn't really convinced that The Spy Who Loved Me could have been that good, and I was so wrong um, From the first time I saw his movie till now, I absolutely love it. There isn't one second of this movie that drags. Um, Every scene is so memorable. Considering we're getting Lewis Gilbert, who did (laughs) You Only Live Twice, and he's basically remaking the same movie. All the mistakes he made in the first one are done right this time. Roger Moore is so on his game. Uh, This movie is just incredible. Uh, I was really surprised in rewatching it that I never thought that my opinion would change on this, but I think I love this movie even more than I did last time I watched it, maybe six months ago.
1: Well, I'm exactly the same as you. Um, I've always really, really enjoyed this one. And then I'm thinking, oh, when I have to take notes, when I've seen them all in order, when we've just been going through these ones that aren't quite as good, st- is it still going to hold up for me? Like I, I really like it, but I feared that it may go down a bit complete opposite I freaking love this film don't have many bad things to say like we'll pick it apart a bit but there's few bad things to say as you said uh, Colin Roger Moore I would maybe put the argument out that this is one of the best performances by a James Bond in any film ever regardless of if you think Roger Moore's the best or worst I think individual performances this is easily top three he is amazing there's just so much good about this film and that we'll get into but I really enjoyed it and I could just watch this one any time of the day, any time of the week and absolutely enjoy it. So definitely went up if that's even possible for me after this rewatch.
2: I think every single actor who's played James Bond has their one film that they're best remembered for. And this is easily Roger Moore's and I agree with everything that both Colin and Noah have said. This film is just so amazing. It's so good. It's um one of these ones that we've said a lot about films that you can just get out and watch and just you know, randomly watch a James Bond film, you'd pick this as easily one of the the ones you'd always want to watch because um you just there's not not really much in this film that is bad. Um, very few things, like, yeah, we're going to make fun of a lot of things in this movie, but <laughs> it's just, it's so good, and it holds up so well after, you know, 30, or well, nearly 40 years now since it came out. So, yeah, this is, I've been very much looking forward to talking about this film because, um, as the uh, song goes, nobody does it better, and uh, maybe that comes to this film as well when it comes to Bond movies.
1: This film is James Bond. Like if you wanted to demonstrate something that what's the most uh, has all the tropes and is still awesome, this film is what James Bond is all about.
0: And yet, surprisingly, it was really, I mean, unless you count You Only Live Twice, but this was the first time they pretty much were doing a completely original screenplay. Um, you know, Ian Fleming's novel, there's a lot of people say, well, Ian Fleming didn't want them to adapt the novel because he wasn't proud of it. I don't really know if that's the case. I think it ultimately just comes down to the fact that James Bond's barely in the novel. It was written more as a spin-off story uh, or like a, a something that could work better as a short story. And Bond sort of tacked on to the ending. Uh, but it wasn't really adaptable. And at this point, they kind of decided maybe because Lewis Gilbert didn't like the books, but they just went with a completely original idea. And there wasn't even any using of characters other than, You know, the two henchmen who are very loosely based just on appearance from The Spy Who Loved Me. So we've already taken three years off from Bond. You know, there's the, the falling out or buying out with Harry Saltzman and Albert Broccoli. And they're going for the 15th anniversary slash 10th movie. And they just go all out. And you're completely right. This is like the ultimate Bond movie. If you were a Bond fan up until this point, this was the movie you always wanted to see, I think.
1: And out with Hamilton as well, who was signed on originally. Um, And you mentioned the novel, how it's completely different. That's something I do want to talk about, because I do think that led to some issues with this film, but I think I'll leave it till later on, but... Um, yeah this really is the shifting point in terms of Ian Fleming's stories into original content
2: I just think it's fascinating you mentioned there Colin um, three year gap this is the biggest gap uh, between Bond films at this point because we usually had them every year or every two years so three years is a big gap in between films and you know 10th film in 15 years as well I mean that's Pretty substantial. And I guess nowadays. Not going to happen nowadays. No. Well, I guess nowadays, Bond fans are kind of used to maybe more, you know, larger gaps. you in the nineties and the two thousands and the 2010s. It's sort of, you know, it's, it's normal almost to be a four year gap, um, five year gap between Bond films at some stages. So I guess, um, you were saying about how Bond fans, this is the one they were waiting for. Well, they were waiting a little bit longer for this one too, because they just weren't used to having three year gap in between them. And
0: you take into account the box office returns a man with the golden gun, and most of them probably hadn't seen a Bond movie since Live and Let Die at this point, too. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah. is, it's, it's again, something interesting to bring up, because there are fans, obviously, of Live and Let Die, and Live and Let Die was considered you know, something that, re- well, every Bond movie, in a way, was like Ma- Honor, Magic, Secret Service, critically redeemed Bond, and then Diamonds Are Forever, you know, commercially redeemed Bond, Live and Let Die, you know, redeemed it with the fans or whatever, but Man with the Golden Gun was kind of that one that, you know, just didn't leave a good taste in people's mouths at the time. And there wasn't a lot of interest in it. And Bond was kind of not cool and not with the times anymore. And this movie was very important because I don't honestly believe that Bond would ever go away. I think they could have three or four stinkers in a row and people would keep going to see them. Maybe the budgets would be diminished. But could you imagine, imagine to the day rate? that
1: we all die?
0: Yeah, but could you imagine with Moonraker, or for your eyes only, being the follow-up to Man with the Golden Gun, that <laughs> Bond becomes that successful again? Like, I think The Spy Who Loved Me is such an important movie, like we're saying, because it did, in a way, it helped Bond to survive, it, it revived Bond.
1: And it, it's such a, it is still a kooky film, and it's got a lot of wacky stuff in there, but... They got around away from this keeping up with the trends, the exploitation, the kung fu kind of stuff. And they just made, I'm not going to say a Sean Connery film, but they just made a standalone adventure and they didn't focus in on we have to keep up with the times here. And then Moonraker comes along and they they do that again. So I think that was another huge thing. And maybe that's why... It holds up to this day as well, part of it, because they weren't trying to keep with a trend that was going on. Or maybe they were, but not an obvious one that I can pick up on.
2: And as you were saying, um, Colin, you sort of heard that the best two were From Russia With Love and this one. And I think, you know, they're great, they're two great ones to always put up there easily in the top five Bond films of all time. Um, I, I think the difference I guess you would say If maybe you had somebody Who was wanting to watch The Bond films And you suggested like Watch one of the best ones first And you would choose Between the two I would pick this one Just because yeah. This one's I think A lot easier to follow Than From Russia With Love um, And it's You said it now, it's A little bit kooky in parts Not to take away from, from Russia With Love It has its moments But And also I think By 1977 The 10th film You had these tropes As Noah said You had these things Locked in place Whereas From Russia With Love It was only the second Film, it was still kind of introducing many elements that you get used to in the Bond films over time, and that's not to take away from Russia with Love because it's a fantastic film. But I just feel this one, as somebody starting out watching Bond, if you want to introduce them with something brilliant, you would probably show them this film. Agreed,
0: yeah. This is one that's accessible, I think, to first time viewers. Whereas from Russia with Love, you probably would have to be a fan first, or at least a fan of spy and espionage movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, we jump right into the opening sequence here and again we already said that Lewis Gilbert's returning after You Only Live Twice, uh, there's a lot of people returning to the Bond franchise at this point and uh, Lewis Gilbert obviously he, he didn't do the best job with You Only Live Twice but it's so funny that a movie that's this good is almost in every way a remake of what he did in You Only Live Twice <laughs> um, we'll get into it with the villain, with the the main you know ship uh and everything which we'll see in the opening (laughs) sequence but even just the structure of this opening sequence was interesting to me because lewis gilbert did that thing where you introduce you know the the plot first so there was the spaceship swallowing the the smaller spaceship here we have the Liparus swallowing the submarine and uh the tanker and you know then you move on to the the villains and they're talking about oh this is what's happened or i guess the russians and then you eventually get to Bond, and Bond's sort of on his own mission. He's in bed with a woman. Like, it's exactly the same as You Only Live Twice. But this time, everything's really working. And it climaxes with the, the, this incredible action scene, which is what no, You Only Live Twice Yeah, no pun intended. Uh, he's just pulling out. Uh, uh,
2: I think he's a tipping re-entry, sir. <laughs>
0: But, uh, was well, there's another funny thing. The movie starts with Bond pulling out and ends with him re-entering in the next one. Uh, <laughs> that's the Lewis Gilbert cycle. <laughs> <laughs> but Yola twice was missing that big action scene, and we get this amazing ski sequence, which is really the first one we've seen since Honor Majesty's Secret Service. You know, they're using the same uh, skiing team that they had, the same photography team, and it's not quite as big as Honor Majesty's Secret Service, but there's a lot of plot that's going on here. You know, we get to see things that won't even come back, like, you know, Anya and her her boyfriend, and, you know, he's tied to Bond, but you don't even necessarily realize it. And, of course, the stunt, which maybe still to this day most would say, if you ask people who've seen a lot of movies or seen the majority of big ones, and you say, what's the greatest stunt in movie history? I would guess this comes up more than anything. The backflip off of a mountain, take off the <laughs> skis, finish the backflip, Parachute, amazing stunt. There is nothing in the Bond franchise, I think, that really tops this.
1: Yeah, this pre-title sequence is great, and I love that it combines actual plot with just Bond on a mission. Even though they do cross over with Anya's boyfriend, but like I always said, I like the just Bond on a mission. That's not totally a plot, but I like how they mix the two here. And straight off the uh, off the baseline um, there really showing Anya and Bond as equals. Like, you see Bond in bed and Anya's in bed, and I, they're really setting up that these are the main focuses and maybe one of the first, or if not the first, Bond-equal girl. Um, so I love her introduction uh, juxtaposed with Bond's introduction. Um, I can't be the only one who thought that was George Lazenby for a second. Am I in, in the bed? I'm like, George is back! <laughs> no. Um, we always oh, wish it is. <laughs> Just a little bit of trivia before uh,
0: you you talk about this, Ben. But the guy in the bed with Anya, uh, the actor, was one of the original actors they looked at to play Bond all the way back, you know, before Sean Connery was cast. Or I think it may have been around the time Lazenby, But one of those moments in the '60s where they were casting the movie, they were looking at him and they just remembered him. So maybe it was yeah. the chest hair that resembled Sean Connery's or something. So if they went yeah. with
2: him instead of Sean Connery, that could have been Sean Connery in a cameo in the bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, I love Connor. that was was a terrible Sean Connery Um, and of course we should mention the introduction of General Gogol we'll be seeing a fair bit of him for the next four or five films Um, he's always good value Um, and then of course the classic I tell him to pull out immediately uh, sorry darling something came up uh, but I need you so does England (laughs) yeah I love that quote Um, and then the Bond in the full yellow ski suit. Um It's such a great chase and I love how there's Anya's boyfriend there but it's kind of not super obvious. Like if you didn't if you weren't paying full attention you may not actually notice that it's him mm-hmm. so I like that it's not super obvious Um and then what can you say about the, the parachute thing? It's just amazing. Like, I won't hear a bad word about it and just the use of silence here is used so well when he's falling. It's like he's falling to the ground. It's just this guy falling and the skis are coming off. And then the Eugene Jack and the music kicking in, it's just flawless. Uh, Easily one of my favorite moments in the entire series. And, I think most people have talked about it as much as you can, but it is amazing. I love this pre-title, all of it, really.
2: I think I joked back in You Only Live Twice that um, I thought this and The Spy Who Loved Me were, like, I got them confused, and well, I think Colin (laughs) pointed out saying it's basically the same movie, but um, put aside, they're not the same movie, this obviously shits all over You Only Live Twice, but yeah, look, the opening sequence, nothing really a whole different to add. I um, did, was I the only one who completely freeze-framed the pan through the submarine when we had the porn on the uh, the submarine yeah. wall? Because um, that, that. that was, yeah, blatant boobs. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> Anywhere they could fit it in.
2: Yes, exactly. Um, and I love the fact that we had the giant Moscow subtitles. Um, and yes, we obviously meet the general, uh, Russian M. Um, yeah, yeah.
1: I love how they cut between M and Gogol. Yes,
2: He's my what does he say? He's my Russian counterpart or something like that. Um, and it's actually it's funny actually. You mentioned about Lazenby because I just realised I've written on my notes Lazenby, question mark question mark. <laughs> so <laughs> obviously oh, oh, I did think the same at the, at the time as well. Um, yeah, the line the um, but I need you. So does England? Like it's so cheesy, but
1: it's so good. Like it's he delivers it amazing. You know, it, like most no lines in this.
2: It's. I mean, this is going back. I think to Roger Moore and his delivery of the one-liners. Like, you know, could you imagine if Roger Moore was in the living daylights and he's driving in the car? Must have <laughs> scared the living daylights. Like, I mean, he probably would have delivered he that would well. Do it
1: so well. You, you know, know, only yeah. one
2: who could save that line. <laughs> like, you know, had he been on Majesty's Secret Service, like, he had a lot of guts. Like oh
1: he could have
2: done that one. <laughs> you just I think it's just the difference in how well Roger Moore delivers them. Um, the ski chase brilliant. It's so good. Even the the what one or two shots of green screen like they've improved their green screening a lot in the seventies <laughs> by then. Like Roger Moore, like he's on for a casual little ski. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, the whole situation where you mentioned, Noah, that you like how it's like Bond on a mission that has nothing to do with the plot, and it's what it really seems like we've got here, but, of course, it, it isn't really. If you tie it later in um, when it comes to Anya, obviously, yeah, he's killed her boyfriend, so it does tie straight into the plot. Um, but, yeah, the whole sequence, and I'm glad you pointed out the music and the silence, because we talked a lot about that, didn't we, In um, with the... Like, yes. you know, like ha- that, that should have just straight away landed with it. Like, yes, they should have. <laughs> when he flips over. Um, it just works so perfectly. Yeah, you're thinking that shit, Bond's about to die. Like, what's going on here? Like, is it another specter masked agent with a mustache that they've just thrown <laughs> off a cliff? But um, the iconic Union Jack um, parachute, it's just. Yes, we we spoke about it in Goldfinger about um, the scene in that one, obviously, with you expect me to talk, no, Mr Bond, like how that and this scene are probably the two most iconic and played scenes in the history of Bond. And yes, we will have this in the Hall of Fame at the end there is no questioning oh, no question. we'll only be choosing two this film because I don't even think there's any debate that that should be there <laughs> and it's and it's been it's been replicated and parried and so many things like yes I'm going to mention die another day because this is what they used in um, that when it came for the reference back to spy lovely when grave not
0: the song mention it but no song <laughs> no, I'll just
2: mention the fact and then also too, um, even when they uh, in the London Olympics of course when they did the whole James Bond thing with the Queen and they jump out of the um, helicopters into the Quote Stadium, um, they, they had the Union Jack flags there, and it just, it's just so well known. And it leads then into, which I know Colin's about to get into, again, probably one of the greatest Bond songs of all time. But I just want to quickly point out that we watch it a lot on this show, and people out there who have never seen it go to YouTube, we will probably put this up on our um, article for this. Alan Partridge, stop getting Bond wrong, <laughs> just explains this opening That's scene hilarious. so perfectly. Yes, he's with a lady. <laughs> um and oh no, James Bond, he's going to die. He's going to die.
1: Um clang. Clang a
2: lang. Yes. Anyway, go watch it. It's on our article, because that leads perfectly into the song.
0: <laughs> just before we talk about the song, and we're gonna try really hard to keep this one. A decent time, but it's so hard with a movie that's good. <laughs> we have to talk about Anya's introduction because I had it spoiled. I always, when I watch a new movie, if I'm getting it on DVD or Blu-ray, I'll watch the trailer, even if it's a movie I've never seen before. I'll always watch the trailer before I watch the movie, you know, just to get an idea. Well, how are they promoting this? What am I about to watch? So obviously, I knew that Anya was going to be this spy in the movie. It's so uh, prominently featured in the trailer. But the way they set up in the movie, it's like they're trying to tease. You think, okay, you see this guy, maybe he looks a little bit like James Bond. You know there's this Agent X, he rolls over. Like, they wanted the audience to think, this is the guy, and it was almost supposed to be like a shock. Like, you mean she's the, the equivalent to Bond, you know? So, did either of you know going in, or was this a surprise to you?
1: Oh, I probably saw this when I was five or six, mm. so it's not something that I remember, but... Um, I don't know, Ben. Yeah, I, I, I'd be the same. I,
2: I would have seen it probably a little bit older than that. Well, but um, I, I wouldn't be able to remember either if it was a shock or not.
0: I don't. I think it's know. a really well-played scene. Like, I'm always disappointed when I watch this because I remember back knowing, okay, well, she's going to be in triple X's in the trailer. And I always wish that I could have had that surprise because it's so well-played in the movie.
1: Hmm. I think um, I was going to bring this up much later into the film, but I might as well while we're at the beginning so I don't forget. um probably not as appropriate here, but I had a different theory about the, the name of the film and maybe it's just fan fiction on my behalf. Uh, but I just don't buy uh, Roger Moore, Bond and Anya as the love. Um, I kind of see it as the spy who loved me and it's loved as well, not the spy who loves me, more as a reference to Anya's boyfriend who died and they were the spies in love because there's that great scene that we'll get to where she just says, you killed my boyfriend and Moore just plays it so well. And there's that kind of heartwarming moment there or um, sad moment. And then later um, Bond goes to rescue her from Stromberg's lair Atlantis. And they're like, no, there's only half an hour or whatever. You can't do that. And he goes, I've always felt that's not because Bond loves her. It's because he feels like he owes her her life because he took um, her boyfriend away and she mentions Tracy in the film and he knows how much that hurts. So I feel like he he owes her her life and that's why he goes back to rescue her, not because he's in love with her. So I've always viewed The Spy Who Loved Me more a reference to Anya and her boyfriend rather than Anya and Bond. And maybe I'm just crazy there. I don't know if either of you have an opinion on that. I like but that's that better. My theory of the week. I like that better almost because, I don't know, like,
2: it seems so convenient with the word love being thrown out there. Like, to me, Bond has only ever been in love twice, and that's with Tracy and with. Um, uh, Vespa.
1: Bond and Anya are great, but they're not in love. Yeah, you like, never see anything in the film. I, d- I think them. I'm going to disagree
0: on that one just because, and I'll, I'll cover it throughout the movie, but I think there's moments where they're clearly trying to show uh, that maybe Bond is in love in this movie. Um, so, especially near the end, I think that there's, you could argue it either way, but uh, I think that they made a very conscious effort in this one to show that it was a little bit different between Bond and Anya.
1: Yeah, maybe so, but I still don't buy it as a personal, just my viewing experience. I don't buy... Well,
0: why Why can't the title be in reference to his Austrian girlfriend? Like, you don't think <laughs> yeah. you loved her?
1: <laughs> that's just my theory of the week, and I'm not sure if the producers intended that, but that's the way I choose to view it, because I think, I think I said this to you guys in the chat, but I kind of see this as almost a spiritual sequel to Honor Majesty's Secret Service. There's just so many parallels, and there's mentions to it, obviously, Um, it's almost like a follow-up to that film. Um, So that's my theory of the week, and that's the way I choose to view it. I think that's a better interpretation just because there's so much focus on Anya's boyfriend who got killed by Bond. But, yeah, maybe I'm just crazy.
0: Well, we're doing good for time. We covered the first four and a half minutes of the movie. (laughs) 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 Let's move on to the title sequence. Um, Title sequence and song. Both of them. I mean, I don't know if I think you mentioned in the past episode, but I don't know if there's anybody who could argue that this isn't at least in the top five bond songs of all time. Most yeah. people probably argue it's in the top three. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure this almost always gets listed at number one, even above gold fingers, like the greatest bond theme of all time. So, I mean, I think the song goes without saying how incredible the song is. And interestingly enough, Madonna can take notes. This is how you keep music up with the times and still make it (laughs) sound like a classic mod song. Um the title sequence is what I really want to talk about because we've had like this three movies in a row with, you know, Diamonds are forever and uh Live and Let Die, the Guy Hamilton seventies trilogy, where the credits just all seem to be exactly the same, except in one let's show a little bit of diamonds, and in the next one let's show a little bit of a skull, and the next one let's show a little bit of this and it only really worked in *Live and Let Die*, but this time they're doing a completely different approach with the titles. Like this is, I think, where the modern Bond titles began. Obviously, all modern Bond titles are a tribute to the classic ones from the '60s, but they're doing so many things on screen at one time here. This isn't like you know *Thunderball* or uh, From Russia with Love*, where maybe you get one silhouette. Like you could have two or three silhouettes on screen at one time, and they're all doing different things. You have you know the marching guards and on the exact same frame of film you have this tiny gymnast dancing on top of a gun that's being pointed i mean there's so much going on in here and it just looks incredible i mean it's perfect use of silhouette and then real images that are just kind of shaded and you get roger moore in there and everything just matches the music perfectly like this has to be up there as some of the best titles too
1: i just want to reiterate uh, ben's uh ask for you to watch that video because it's just, that's all I can picture <laughs> there's this Luger, this giant Luger and she's walking across it <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> bit, really bit of bush good. bit of bush <laughs> <laughs> oh, missed it <laughs> yeah, I think you really covered it Colin um, it's the first one to feature Bond in it, so that will become a recurring thing in, not all of them, but a lot of them from here, and I'm pretty sure it's still Maurice Binder, but um it's just this. This is the beginning, of, and maybe it was that three-year break and the change in production and everything. But from here on out, it's going to be a lot different, and we'll see some different ones. The Brosnans experiment a lot, but for the most part, this is what the the uh, sequences will be for the rest of it. Like you compare this to Skyfall, and they're probably not too far apart. Obviously, Skyfall's got a lot more going on in it, but the same principle is there. Um, just the silhouettes you so i love the russian army of females that he pushes over and the people swinging around and bond shooting and everything works here bond and the girl with the russian hat it just i could re-watch this anytime i like i will say that but i would just love watching this sequence and the song it's definitely not one i would ever listen to just it 's not my kind of music, but it is hands down one of the best it it 's just it captures Bond so well and it captures the film so well um, that 's one thing the songs and title sequences don 't do all the time is capture the film and song uh, capture the film 's tone well, which I think this one does perfectly. It's not my favourite song of all of them, but I think coupled with the intro, it's probably the greatest packaged uh, title sequence of all time. It is amazing. And we've had some good ones, Live and Let Die, Thunderbolt. I think this is the first great title sequence, and maybe we'll rank them one time. But this is amazing. I absolutely love it. No no bad things to say about it at all.
2: The title sequence, I would agree, um, it's... It's so good. And after the last three, I mean, what? Man with the golden gun was just a woman laying there naked. We saw a bit of bum, and then she rolled over. I mean, wow! Like this, Lulu <laughs> screaming in our ears. This this was just absolutely fantastic. And with the silhouette silhouettes and having Bond in there too, and kind of the silhouettes of like him um, with Anya like fighting, you know, and just with the guns and the gymnast and just yes, it's just it's just perfect. It's so good. But I mean, this song like when we eventually do our song episode and we're all going to have sort of our, our personal ones in which we will rank higher than others, which, you know, I'll get laughed at. <laughs> um, and that's and that's just because in my, my number one song is, and it's not Die Another Day, um, I know between you guys isn't generally loved, um, which will be an interesting debate. But this... This always is in my top three. It's got to be in everybody's, I feel, just because it's just... I think this lyrically is the most perfect Bond song. I think
1: it's catchy but not cheesy like Man With The Golden Gun or even Goldfinger.
2: And it's just the way it introduces it with a... I also
1: really like how it's called Nobody Does It Better and that's the main thing. Mm -hmm. But it also has, like, heaven above me, the spy who... Like, it still features the title like there's some songs like another way to die it's just completely random so i like how it incorporates it while it's still its own song
2: and it just it just feels so good like you said you wouldn't listen it's not your type of music i mean this is not my type of music either but i completely disagree i crank this up as much as i can i just i feel this is just one of those songs that just you can just burst it out really loud and it just it's sweeping and it's just it's so good i can just i never ever get sick of this song i love it so much and Carly Simon Like She's She's had some pretty big hits But this is one that she's Pretty much This and You're So Vain I think are the two That she's mainly known for But I'm just reading a little bit About the success of this song itself I mean It was named number 67 uh, The 67th greatest film uh, Greatest song in film by the uh, American Film Institute, and it's been used. I mean, it was used in Mr. and Mrs. Smith, apparently. Um, Bridget Jones, The Edge of Reason. Ooh. Um, but, and and went, and the success too uh, number one in Canada, uh, number one uh, in on the US adult contemporary charts, number two just in general in America, and number eight in Australia. Um, but, yeah, just such a great song, one of the most successful ones of all time, and. This I just can never get sick of this song. It's so good.
0: The next pair of scenes we have here uh, There's not really much noticeable happening and it. it's just being the briefings being given the mission and everything but uh, I feel like the reason to talk about these scenes is again because we're seeing actors from past movies come back and we already talked about how General Gogol is gonna become a major character and outside of Blofeld really the only reoccurring villain I don't know if you really consider him a villain. I think a lot of the movies He's loosely working with them. It's like they're on the brink of having peace, but there's still some, you know, tension and everything. But a really interesting character we're going to get to see, but the actor, uh, what's his name here? Uh, Walter Gattell. Uh He was in From Russia With Love, of course, playing the almost voiceless henchman Morzeni, who's the guy who gets burned on the boat at the end, basically. <laughs> so... He's making his return to Bond here, uh, so he gives the mission to got Anya. Got a you know that- mask
1: from the Spectre department. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> um, he's got the aged Morzeni mask on, that's all he is.
1: <laughs> that's my uh, always trying to connect all the films in a logical way. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> There's continuity in Noah's head. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, obviously you know he's Russian and that they're slightly evil because M's office has plants and windows... And Gogol's office is a cold, dark room in the middle of some <laughs> castle somewhere. Uh, but on the other side, on the whole M briefing that Bond has, we have uh, another actor who, of course, we saw before. You talk about how Lazenby's in the movie. Hilary Bray has come back as a different character. Hilly!
1: Hilly's back! How did the specter get a Hilly mask?
0: I don't well, this is mi six so they're testing out their masks <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it's interesting that they reuse these actors again, George Baker, who played Sir Hillary Brand on her Majesty's Secret Service, he has this not too big of a role, but they give him a role, and he doesn't look any different. I think with General Gogol it's different it's been a lot longer for him, like fifteen years uh, it's been only eight years since on her Majesty Secret Service they don't even really seem to hide the fact that these Sir, Sir Hillary it's just a voice change but to be honest i never noticed this and when i saw the movie the first time i didn't notice until i listened to the commentary the second time so they're doing something right but i think those scenes are interesting just because they're bringing some of these actors back and recasting
1: which we'll obviously see a few movies later uh well yeah you talked about bringing characters back and i'm not sure if you were about to bring this up or not but um Mm -hmm. when they're on the boat just after we have Admiral Hargraves, which is, uh, what's his name, Robert Brown, that's his name, right, um, who will go on to be Bernard Lee, <laughs> the second last film, uh, Bernard Lee's replacement as M for four films or five films. So uh, I always liked, I joke about fitting the continuity in, but I always <laughs> like to believe that this is, they never call him Admiral Hargraves again, but, I mean, he's working with MI6, he's in the Navy. I'd like to think that Admiral Hargraves does go on to become M. Like, we joke about the Hilly mask, but I think this... That's a logical explanation, I think. Yeah, it logically fits in, unlike the other stuff, uh, like more coming back, but... Um, Yes, uh, I, every time I see this, I like to think, oh, there's M in a few years, he's going to be the boss. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's what I got to add on actors returning. So keep an eye out for him. And I'm very upset that we're nearing the end of Bernard Lee. I,
2: um, like, one standout was this one, was the interaction with Q. Um, when Bond, you know, with him and Q's like, morning, mission successful. Like,
1: it's almost like Q being nice. Like... Q is this is the beginning of the major Q. Like, he is in so much of this.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, again, I think we talked about a lot in Man with the Gong, like, why is Q even there? I'm <laughs> um, like, Q, i am like I think he's a little bit more important in MI6 than we give him credit for, because he's, like, yeah. he's in these, like, meetings and briefings, and he's always out there. So maybe besides being, like, the gadget man, like he's got a little bit more in his Maybe resume.
1: Q is actually M and... Bernard Lee as M is just the front, so if any terrorists ever break into MI6 and they kill. Bernard Lee, that's not actually Q. So q, uh, <laughs> q is running the show.
2: <laughs> I like the whole situation there where Q's like, no, quite simple, really. Like when <laughs> he's trying to like explain the whole know it all Q, <laughs> yeah, know it all Q, and uh, just Shut Q. Uh, the whole situation when um, Bond is walking with, um, her, he's in the the suit, like the whole uh, his actual military yeah. outfit. Um, Maybe. And, and the saluting as they're walking along. Oh, the, I love that. I, yes, I, I just think that's awesome. Like, it's
1: we, like a nice little touch.
2: We know he's Commander Bond and it's very rare. Like, there's only a couple of movies, aren't there, where we actually see him in his full you know, military attire. Yeah, well, so. You only live twice,
1: appropriately. Hello,
2: Lewis was it Was it Tomorrow Never Dies? I feel he was also... Tomorrow Never
0: Dies again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. Which is random in Tomorrow Never Dies.
1: But still, I don't know, like... he it, Bring it up. It's actually a nice, subtle touch that they didn't have to do, like, the saluting. Like, yeah,
2: I love, I, I love that. Like, just, like, just walking along because, again, yeah, like, we, we see him as a secret agent in M.I.C. But, like, again, deep down, he's, he's in the Navy. So, like, you know, of course it's very mm-hmm. proper in the saluting and all that sort of stuff. So I like seeing military bond I, I feel we need to see more mil- like daniel craig has never been military bond let's say military bond
0: <laughs> it's cool that even in the daniel craigs they give some behind like i love when you get behind the scenes stuff like we talked about in from russia with love that there was this whole story that behind the scenes we weren't happening and even little things in this movie like they, they don't dumb this movie down too much so you'll see bond in uniform and you'll hear a lot of like technical lingo later on from the navy guys they re- this really is a, very much a naval movie. Uh, I think maybe that's the reason why we see him in this, because so much of this revolves around the Navy and submarines and stuff like that. And It's somewhere where Bond would be at home. And I like seeing that there's this part of Bond, even if he's not in that uniform all the time, he still remembers all of the salutes and everything else.
2: Hmm. I agree.
0: All right. Glad we're on the same page for this. <laughs>
2: uh, for once.
0: <laughs> next scene, we get uh, introduced to the villain now. So this is the meet Stromberg scene. Otherwise known as the Meet Blofeld scene um, <laughs> or Meet Goldfinger scene, because Stromberg is just Blofeld and Goldfinger and Doctor No combined. Um, well, the, it was uh, supposed
1: to be Blofeld. We should point out. Yeah,
0: yeah, they had, had blame anxiety. Kevin McClory. Kevin McClory is always to blame if anything goes wrong in a Bond movie. <laughs> um, but like we have the the thing like his his underwater layer and. The fact that you see these fish, you know, in the windows behind him, I mean, is very doctor no Noe-like. The fact that he's this billionaire and, you know, he has these evil deeds is a lot like Goldfinger. And, of course, you know, so many things you can connect to Blofeld. I mean, again, remake of You Only Live Twice. What does he have? He doesn't have a bridge that collapses, you know, into piranhas. He has an elevator that collapses in the scene. And to a you know, shark tank, <laughs>
2: <slime>. yeah. <laughs> no point of view um, this time around, though. <laughs> yeah.
0: But you know, the fact that he is just basically a rip off of every villain we've seen before—I don't think it really takes away from him. And we'll probably talk more about him later when he becomes more prominent in the story. But this is a decent introduction to him, even though we've seen it all before. They're doing things slightly different in this movie, and everything in the movie fits. And I think this is where it's different from *You Only Live Twice*, because we had like a volcano and you only live twice. And then we had stuff in space and then we had all this Japanese culture and it just felt like they had all these different ideas and they couldn't reconcile them. And here, everything's very much based on the water in this movie, you know, whether it's the submarines and the Navy or this underwater city or, you know, bond just in the, uh, uh, the, the uniform, you know, the car later on. So I like that Stromberg's very much just centered in this one location um, it is cool to see that the henchmen, now having read the book, uh, since I've read it, this was pretty much the only thing that survived from the book was the henchmen. The names are changed, but basically the appearances are slightly similar from Slugsy and Horror, who were the henchmen in Spy Who Loved Me, the novel. So this is basically the beginning of the plot. There's a microfilm out there, and, uh, uh, Jaws and, uh, Sandor need to get the microfilm back uh we have the the underwater city it's kind of a fun scene i think
1: i think it's a great introduction to stromberg one of the best of all the villains in my opinion um but yeah you will talk about him a bit more later but mm, i just i like to he gets a lot of hate and i like to be the one who like, looks at the other side of things when things get a lot of hate. But I'm on the bandwagon that Strongberry is a bad villain and it's my major criticism of the film. I try hard to enjoy him but just can't. Um, but I do love how sadistic they set him up to be. Like, first he lets the girl down to the shark and then, uh, what are their names? Uh, Dr. Beckman and Professor Markowitz or Professor Dr. Beckman and Professor Dr. Markowitz. um <laughs> Like, oh, they're not the bad guy. <coughs> Explosion. Like, it's just, they really set him up. It's sadistic. Um, but I think this is where they may have run into some troubles not basing it off a book for the first time. Like Man with the Golden Gun, Live and Let Die, they don't use too much of the book. But Scaramanga is still there. Um, Mr. is still there. Blofeld they obviously used. Uh, Largo, Goldfinger, Dr. No. Here, they didn't really have a villain uh, to base anything off. So I think that's where it comes into, oh, there's a bit of Blofeld, a bit of Dr. No, a bit of Goldfinger, and a bit of crap. So I think (laughs) that's a reasoning for Stromberg because they didn't have any bases, but it's a brilliant introduction scene. And that Stromberg's theme, I'm not sure if that's what the song is called, but that underwater Theme that you, is used throughout the film is just fantastic. This film has a great score.
2: That's um. That is a well-known piece of. Class- I don't know what it's called. Yeah,
1: the yeah
2: yeah. I was going to bring that up. Underwater jam. I I love the the use of classical music with Stromberg. I think it's so well. It's great. Like it's just. I don't know, there's something about it, and I, I love Atlantis, the whole idea behind it, and just the the lair, and just, it's one of my favourite sort of villain hideouts, I think it's it's fantastic, it's so good, and you could just see this as being like this really evil place where, you know, he's trying to take over the world with this plot of, you know, stealing the nuclear submarines for the bombs to destroy
1: the world, so you have to live under the sea, I mean, it's, it's great. But it's So big as well. We, you don't realize until Roger Moore goes on the jet yeah. ski, which we'll get to, and you see how massive this lair is. I
2: just, I just, I love it. And if we did an episode and like ranking the lairs, like this would be <laughs> my, my top five probably. But I'm the same as you, Noah. I'm not, a, a str- I just, I don't like Stromberg. I, I, I like my villain sadistic and evil, and he is. But he's just a bit bland with it. Like I don't know. There's just something with it that just doesn't click for me. To me, the the star villain of course of this film is Jaws, um, which of course oh, Paul Sandor. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he needs to, which I think maybe Vargas cousin. Uh,
2: he, ne- he needs you know better ties or something like. That. I don't know. But <laughs> yeah. um, like to me, Stromberg is just largo. Like. It's uh, just. Some... I think that's a little bit harsh. Well, uh, maybe, but like, <laughs> I didn't say it was Hans or something like that. But like, <laughs> it's just something with him that just doesn't click for me. And it's and slight. he's he's kind of like I know he's deliberately like a recluse and all this sort of stuff, but there's just something about him living there under the sea, and he's later on with like Anya and keeping her like. In a, I don't know, he's just like a pervy old man who's lonely who just wants to kidnap women. Um well, that's <laughs>
0: the Scaramanga part of him. You know, he has to take the other agent and just put her in a bikini or a dress because and have her sitting there. Scaramanga
2: has knickknack. Like, there's a nice little relationship there. Like, like Stromberg, was your Jaws? Like... Jaws. Get me. I don't know. I do like the whole get elevator, in the, the, get the spaghetti sandal, <laughs> the shark, and all that sort of stuff. It's it's great. Um, one one, and I agree. I think this is one of the best introductions, sort of, for a villain and that side of thing. One thing I will say though, I, I learned a little bit of interesting trivia in regard to Jaws and the name of Jaws was that Steven Spielberg was actually um contacted and considered to be the director of this film. Um, but was, uh, too involved in Jaws, the, the, the movie, not the, uh, the character. Mm. And, um, of course, given the success of Jaws, um, they named his character, uh, basically after Jaws, Jaws. So, I, I didn't know that until I was until sort of. I if
1: you're telling us a joke on... No, no, like, uh, just on,
2: on, well, it says on INDB trivia that's what happened. Um, and I read it somewhere else too, but, um, yeah, I found that quite interesting. Steven Spielberg is a Bond director? Wow. Well, and to
0: go even further than that, I mean, I think most Indiana Jones fans know the story about how that came about. That he and that, of course, we're coming off of him turning down Spy Who Loved Me, and Star Wars had just come out, so we're a few months away from the Spy Who Loved Me's release. And Spielberg now feeling like, oh, I wish I had had a chance to do a Bond movie. You know, he's telling George Lucas, I really want to do a Bond movie now. You know, I miss this one. And George Lucas is like, well, I have something better than Bond, and that's when he pitched him Indiana Jones. So it's interesting how you have to wonder, would that conversation about Indiana Jones had ever come up had he not had to turn down Spy Who Loved Me?
2: Yeah, that's very interesting.
0: One thing I want to say just on Stromberg, um, because I I will agree that as a character, there's not a lot there. But I think the actor, Kurt Juergens, just brings so much to this character. I think that's Bert Juergens. (laughs) Bert, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, we have Gert and Kurt and... <laughs> get, get Kurt and Bert. <laughs>
3: the
1: three-blind mice.
0: Goldfinger's brother. We have the proof now. <laughs> uh, but I think that, that Kurt Jurgens really brings something to the role and it's it's really one of the first times I think maybe outside of Telly Savalas and... Uh, I mean, obviously we've come off a couple of movies, but this is a villain, a classic Bond villain. We've seen Blofeld, we've seen Dr. No, but this is a guy doing his real acting, so we kind of have a bit of Goldfinger, but he's really acting in even though the character isn't really menacing, I always felt like as an actor, there's certain lines he delivers that I mean, I'm kind of intimidated just watching him. So I would love to have seen what he could have done. Let's imagine him cast as Blofeld in Diamonds Are Forever, and it would be a serious movie, or even him instead of Telly Savallis. Um I think he would have made a brilliant Bond villain, and I couldn't rank him at the bottom just simply because he's so, so good as an actor with what That's... he has with this movie.
2: Yeah, I I think. That's a good point with the acting. Um, I mean, we'll talk a bit about Anya. I mean, Anya's a great character, but I feel mm-hmm. the actress, Barbara Bach, is it? Bach? She's yeah. maybe not the best actress. Not to take away from the character or that, but it's, yeah, I, I, I think that's a good point. And I like the fact that his name's Kurt, but he's um, credited as Kurt. Kurt. <laughs> The, the next couple
0: of scenes we have, we have a couple of short ones. Bond's in the desert. Uh, he's dressed like an Arab. Um, he <laughs> he he gets he visits an old friend. I always like these scenes where Bond has some type of contact, and you know there's a pre-existing relationship there. So, especially to see Bond on location somewhere, I just have this idea in my head that Bond was stationed there, you know, wearing this uh, uh, Arab get-up for, you know, five years, you know, the <laughs> young years of his career. Um obviously he finds out he's got to find this guy feckish and uh there's a couple of good lines in there uh wh- when he does get to feckish's uh, what did you call him noah feckish's lady friend or
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. does she have
0: feckish's a name in the woman. movie yeah, yeah feckish's
1: well woman. um arab mary <laughs> ah! <laughs> you know, labels her as bond sexual conquest <laughs> <laughs> Something I was reading last week, I can't (laughs) quite
0: remember. (laughs) It's like Bond's missed opportunity in this movie, because he doesn't get to go all the way for once. Um, We get a fun line about him, well, I had lunch, but I missed dessert. (laughs) Really kind of one of the creepy Roger Moore pickup lines there. Uh, And obviously, she sacrifices herself to save Bond's life. Who knows why? Uh, Bond (laughs) chases Sander up on the roof, and we have the classic moment with the tie... And he says, where's Fecus? Where's Feckish?" And then he says, pyramids! And then Bond just cuts the tie, falls to his death. That's, that moment, I think, is remembered more than the sequence. I don't think anybody really is following the plot at this point in the movie, but there's these little things in the scenes. It's very Godfather-like. What, where what's a, so the weird line that he,
1: What that a helpful chap. You, yeah, I, you would think it would be... Hmm,
2: loose ties. <laughs> <laughs> that tied <laughs> in well to my mission. <laughs>
1: Just tying up some loose ends <laughs> yeah tying up some loose that seems like what the line should be yeah
0: uh but i mean the sequences are again I, it's so funny because when i'm watching this i'm always struggling to think about what is going on in the movie like plot wise but i don't really care at this point because they haven't spent that much time introducing the plot but i think scenes really work and they're very memorable especially for the tie gank at the end
1: yeah, I, I I do like Hussein when he goes to visit his friend, um, and he gets to stay there the night. Um, similar to From Russell with Love, but with no Vavra though. Um, yeah, the plot is, is like they're finding the sub tracking system, but it's like, why does Feckish have it, or why does Max Kalba have it? Like, like why them? <laughs> like it's a bit confusing, but. I love Cairo as a set, um, it's amazing, I'm surprised they haven't gone to locations like this before and they really have not gone back to places like this as much as they should, like they go and in living daylight, stuff like that, but just the desert and everything like that works so well, especially the nighttime scenes I'm just in love with, this is hands down one of my favourite locations, like uh, Living That die and man with a Can kind of dropped the ball on locations compared to other films, but this really picks it up, and I absolutely love Egypt as a location. Um, so yeah, Bond having to find uh, Max Kalba at the the cafe, which I'm which is a bit jumping ahead, but I was thinking, why didn't they call him Max Rebo at the cafe? Star Wars reference for anyone Yeah, That's just not me having a stroke or something. Yeah, I love it. We don't know having a stroke. He just start doing the cantina scene from Star Wars. Is it just me, or does no one in this universe know how to say feckish? Like, they kept changing. Sometimes I'd say feckish, sometimes I'd say fakish, and like, did no one check with the scriptwriter or Lewis Gilbert how to say it? Um, but yeah, Sandor would never stuff that up. Oh, yeah, blame Kevin um, <laughs> The Though, yeah, Sandor didn't last long, did he? He <laughs> like, no. joins Vargas and Hands in the henchman uh, Golden Turtle. Still better but, than both of them. <laughs> yeah. But he's quite a brute, so I'm surprised I didn't use him more. But, yeah, Pyramid! or oh, I was hoping he said, get Cairo! Like diamonds are forever, but we didn't get that. Um, one of my favourite fights and one of Bond's coldest and coolest deaths of all the films. I love it. I love
2: like we I was mentioning about Bond in military. Like I, I, must have a thing for just Bond in different clothes that kind of fit because I, I love Bond in Arab attire on the camel. Ben I...
0: loves Bond in the
2: uniform. Yeah, like <laughs> damn it, I will. I'll say that like he's awesome. Like just Bond chilling on a camel in like full Arab getup. Like it it's... doesn't punch the camel. No. <laughs> yes.
0: I can't. I can't wait for the clown sequences in octopus. You're gonna go nuts. That, that's
2: <laughs> that's one which I will uh, say no. <laughs> Bond in a Hawaiian shirt and die another day. Uh, but, um, like, you're mentioning about Kyra, like, there's, there's something about just um, bond in the Middle East and sort of, like, in Arab countries, which I think works really well. Like, may I, I look, I don't know. This is just a, an out there theory. Like, I guess media portrays the Middle East and sort of these countries as so negatively that, like, when we actually see kind of the real Middle East and kind of, um, you know, Arab countries and Egypt and places like that, like... They they're obviously spectacular places which aren't all just bad. So um, I I kind of have a, a an interest in in seeing that sort of stuff. So I I love kind of Bond in the Middle East. It's great, but I love the whole um, situation there with his, with Max and the introduction and just what a boring life Max has. Just like laying around surrounded by beautiful women, like. He is bored shitless. Like, oh, I've only had sex with these women eight times today. What else? Oh, my friend from England's here. James, hello. Um, uh, that's Hussein, not Mac. Oh, whatever. Um, Hussein, <laughs> same difference. Um, but I, I also, like, you mentioned in kind of how there's not much, but I, I, I like it in a Bond film how he's kind of got to go from, like, one person to another person to another person. Like, I kind of like that whole connection and, I know we talked about it in From Russia with Love. Noah, you said how it's kind of like there's a real there's a world outside of Bond. Like you feel like this movie's alive with different world. Like I I feel that that it's this movie as well. I was thinking that too. And I, I love kind of how in any Bond film he meets these contacts that clearly he knows and he's known for a long time and. You know, we don't really ever see a whole lot of Bond's backstory, but whenever we see little things like this, I just, I just like it. Um, and the whole situation, yes, like the, oh, I haven't had dessert, and you're being very suspicious, and it's like, oh, and he's just asking all these questions. <laughs> like, well, she's being a bit of a, you know, can I say skank like? Yeah, like just just tell him the information. Like, Bond's not. She's willing to die for the
0: man. You can show
2: her some respect. <laughs> well, and the music. I love the music. Just the whole the the Arabic music and how it all connects in the strumming. Like I don't know what that type of guitar is called in the Middle East, but it, it just works so well. How it works in the chase and the the tie. It's called
1: a guitar. No, but there's like an actual... Yeah, I'm just being an idiot. Yeah, you are. Uh, 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 Trivia, if you didn't pick up on it, later when Anya and Bond are walking, when their van breaks down, they use the Lawrence of Arabia mm-hmm. theme, which yep, is kind of yep. cool.
2: And one thing, actually, to qu- quickly just a throwback, when the map, um, the lines that are going on the map, that I believe plays... Oh, yeah. Is it the Bond theme that it plays, or is it the You Only Live Twice? It act- the, the first few notes of it is meant is one of the songs. Anyway, maybe we'll, we'll, I'll confirm that in a minute. Oh, um, it's like maps and dots and walking. Isn't
0: yeah. <laughs> like... Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah.
2: One thing, though, and this is a weird throwback when it comes to what this scene reminded me of. Has anyone ever seen the uh, Matthew Broderick Inspector Gadget film? Yes. Yes, when he's holding by the the tie and he's like, Hey Gadget, it's a clip on and us go and he falls down. That just reminded me of that scene. I just want to get an Inspector Gadget reference in there somewhere. But um
0: I can't believe we are one for one on Die Another Day and Inspector Gadget the movie references on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Which one will win?
2: <laughs> hey, we haven't played
0: this yet. <laughs> <another> <laughs>
1: I don't know if we have an Inspector Gadget dun, dun, theme. Inspector <laughs> Gadgets. <laughs> is that what you played just then? I didn't hear it. Uh, well, if you didn't
2: know what Madonna Die Another Day sounds like, Noah, but, um... <laughs> yes. Let's move on Moving. before
0: we get any deeper in the Die Another Day camp here. Um, this next sequence, like, i got to talk about this all on its own because I'm going to obviously plead a big case for this for the Hall of Fame. I- I'm going to say it again right off the bat. Uh... The pyramid sequence. Everything in this is so perfect, and how Lewis Gilbert, a man who seemed to have no creativity, <laughs> only lived twice, can just nail it on every level. Um, the lighting, the 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 music, the Marvin Hamlish writes, the the sound effects, uh, the absence of sound sometimes, the narrator in the background. I mean, Bond basically just searching. You have these three people all looking around these pyramids, Bond and Jaws and Anya, I love this scene so much, I went as far in my notes to say that outside of action sequences, maybe just straight suspense, that this might have been the best stage sequence we've seen in any Bond movie up until this point. So, this entire sequence here, I mean, I love everything about this. There really isn't anything that doesn't work and they keep adding these new things on top of each other and we get all of a sudden it'll change to purple lights and then this operatic music that's playing, you know, as Jaws mm-hmm. is doing his vampire thing, like, oh, it's <laughs> so good.
1: Yeah, this could be my favorite scene in the movie. Uh, every time I watch this, I love this. The nighttime they use the nighttime and the lights. Um, this would not work nearly as well if they didn't have the presentation going on in the background. That just makes it because you really get a sense of what is happening here um, and just around the pirate pip- Pyramids is just great. Um, and, yeah, you get Jaws, you get feckish you get Bond, you get Anya. Um, you get Ivan and Boris. Um, <laughs> you, you have uh, Jaws breaking the lock with his teeth, which is just amazing. Um, I completely agree with you. And that epic music, as you said, when it just gets into it in this presentation, everything works here. And, as you said, creativ- creatively, this is probably the best in the film I absolutely love it and maybe one of the most suspenseful and coolest scenes in Bond history I agree with you there's so much good stuff to say about that
2: I agree with everything you said in regards to the Hall of Fame it's going to be interesting that Hall of Fame debate because while we've obviously got one guaranteed scene in there I feel there's another guaranteed scene in there we've got
1: two guarantees so there's one open
2: yeah, so I, I'm not, yeah, look, uh, we'll get to that, we're, we're f- a fair way away from that, but yeah, I don't really have much to add, it's it's just, it's great, and I actually read an interesting thing in regards to the actual show, with the whole narration and everything like that, it's called The Sound of Light, and it is still shown to this day, apparently, so it's an actually, it's a, really? it's a real <sighs> like thing. Like that
1: presentation, yeah. you can go to it. Field trip! There yeah. we go, everybody! We're all going <laughs> to Egypt! I'll
0: play <laughs> I'll play Jaws! I'm- Well, the entire time during the presentation, we're going to sit in our seats, and every once in a while, one of us is just going to go,
1: (laughs) (laughs) slowly one will go off heading into the night, and then another will follow. (laughs) That
2: was the the best impersonation of any music we've done all of these. (laughs)
1: Someone has to get their metal teeth, though. (laughs) Do Do you
0: think they end the presentation now with, Hope you enjoyed the show. Good night. Like, perfect ending to the sequence, too.
2: And then they have somebody in the background, nobody does it better. I want
3: to
0: go
2: to this show now. That would be awesome. Um, but, yeah, I would nothing to add. Uh, I love the, the convenience of turning the page, though, to the meeting. That's just one thing I'll add. But, yeah, it's great. And um, I cringe with the uh, jaws biting through the middle because I have this weird thing which, like, if I see people biting like metal or material, it makes me something that you know, happens every it day. It makes me get the shivers. Like I just have this. Oh, I just even thinking about Who it right bites now.
1: metal, <laughs> you know.
2: But like I don't know, because I've got like sensitive teeth. So if I bite metal, I just.
0: Uh, <laughs> I never it? leaves the house
2: because every time he walks
0: outside, and he sees people biting street lamps. <laughs> which just is him. He runs home.
2: Hey, you've never been to West Moon, have you?
0: Um. <laughs> um the the next couple of scenes we'll talk about here, like it's interesting that we now get to the point of the movie where it's basically developing this rapport between Bond and Anya, and they're still adversaries at this point. We we have this really cool scene where they're in the, I don't know, the Egyptian nightclub, if you want to call it that. Jabba and, club. Yeah, and, and... Or the canteen, they, as I like to call them. Max Rebo and his band are playing in the background. <laughs> and,
1: <laughs> I was having uh, a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, someone is... Uh, edit the band in Star Wars so that they're playing, nobody does it better. I thought we were re-editing them for the Jump Up Jamaica.
0: <laughs> yes! Coming Someone. soon from Double Oz 7, the canteen and, band from Star Wars does the hits of James Bond.
1: Followed by edit, edit that dancing guy into into the cantina <laughs> in Tatooine. <Yeah>. Local Tatooinean <laughs> Jump Up Jamaica guy.
0: Um, <laughs> uh, but what's really cool about this uh, scene we have here with Bond and Anya is, first of all, you get this impression that they know who each other are. And this is, again, another thing where there's a lot of backstory that we're not told about. Like, the exposition in this movie is fantastic. Usually exposition is really painful to watch. It's introduced so subtly here. You, you just get them saying, oh, I, I know everything about them. They're ordering their drinks for each other. And uh, then they're going into the details of each- their history. And we get the first reference to Tracy, that we've had since Honor Magic Secret Service, hence why I think you partly look at this as, like, a spiritual sequel to Honor Magic Secret Service. Uh, following that, you know, we have Jaws with uh, another kill. He's going vampire on this. He's not biting metal. He's biting a neck, so Ben wasn't <laughs> covering his eyes. Um, Jaws takes a van, Bond and Anya hide in the back together, and then we get to the construction site fight, which, uh, again, like the fights in this movie just get better each time. And I think what Roger Moore doesn't get nearly enough credit for is people often say, well, he wasn't fit enough. The guy was 50 years old when he did this movie. I mean, the fact that these fights are as memorable as they are, it doesn't have to be Roger Moore being fit. It's because they're staged brilliantly. So uh, this whole sequence of events, establishing bond and Anya's relationship and obviously using jaws as the main villain at this point, really climaxing with this, battle back and forth between the microfilm and then the keys to the van and the getaway i mean this is some of the best stuff in the movie right here
1: yeah even though i love the second half i still think egypt and the first half of the movie is the best part even though i do love the tanker battle um i love the club scene as you said a lot of exposition and but you need it. This you have to build this relationship between the two characters. And Bond, uh, Ben, not Bond, Ben said that I get uh, compared often enough <laughs> between the two. So I'm yeah, used but- to it. <laughs>
0: Looking in the mirror, right, Waterworth?
1: It's fine. Unlike you, Bond is not afraid of metal. Though um, <laughs> 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 the club scene is great. I love the Tracy reference. It's amazing. We have our first shaken not stirred in a very long time. Um, I love the the KGB keep tabs on the different uh, drinks that MI6 agents enjoy. That's nice touch. Um, <laughs> and then we say goodbye to Max and Jaws posing as, what is he like a telephone repair man or something like that. Um, so even though there's not a huge amount going on in this scene, I love the cantina and like Bond and Anya trying to bid against each other. And they're still not really on the si- same side at this point. Um, and then yeah construction site as colin said, it's just so well choreographed but my favorite scene has to be the car the van with jaws and this is one line central everything that comes out of Ro- uh, roger moore's mouth is just one liners and as we keep saying when he does it it's not so obvious and not so cheesy it works with him and when you do the ending kind of thing colin i reckon you could. Can- Pick every single one of these just play this scene like women drivers and like just all these different lines yeah (laughs) it's it's mental but i love it um i love that uh, the van that just shows i think this is a good time to talk about jaws it's just every henchman up to this point has been well not everyone has been great but we've had some great ones but Jaws does what no other one does, and that combines Speed. scariness and yeah. Well, Moonraker used um, <laughs> to was um, yeah. He 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 combines bruteness and scariness with a quirk like you know J- uh, giant. He's giant and he's got metal teeth and he bites metal. Um, watch out, Ben! And <laughs> like so, we're... like Nick he was sinister, but his thing was he was little, but he. He didn't have too much bruteness or anything. I know it's a different character. Mr. Winton kid were very creepy, but that was kind of what they had. They were a couple. That's it. Uh, Whisper. Well. <laughs> oh God. T. He had a metal claw. He was sinister, but other than that, he had a metal claw. You know, you get the picture. Red Grant. He was a brute, but he was just a normal guy who escaped from a prison. I feel like Jaws mixes all the good stuff about all the henchmen up to that point and create someone who's in the film a lot, someone who's sinister, someone who's a brute, but still has that kind of quirk. And this van scene is amazing. And Jaws, hands down, no hipsters allowed. This is one of the best henchmen in Bond history. And then, of course, driving off. That's where I think this scene goes down a bit with that weird music they play when they're driving the van. Mm. I don't know who. Yeah, I think it's. Um, (laughs) I I, I don't know who came up with that because it really takes it away from an otherwise perfect scene. And then the walking with Glory. Yeah, (laughs) Glory. Walking away with the Lawrence of Arabia and it's getting dusk, and you've got classic movie desert walking um, of fading in and out of different places, and then getting to the boat is such a great way to end it off the scene and end off most of the Kyra I love everything happening here Jaws is amazing
2: at least we didn't have kind of like fade cut shots from Quantum of Solace like you know, <laughs> yes. that's one positive um, I'm just going to say this Noah Groves to put out there saying that he is one of the best I, I would he is the best surely like, yeah probably yeah. I, I I mean who Hans like uh, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, there's an episode in itself I know Henchman but I, I've got to say he's got to be the best yeah um, Maybe that's what um, nobody does it better. it's <laughs> Singing about Jaws, um, yeah, not a whole lot to add, I guess. Um, I mean, the club scene, the the scene with that that they mentioned Tracy and that he was married. Like, it's I mean, what it's taken what it's four films to get that reference? Three films, four films. Like, it's it's just, and it's kind of it's. I don't say eerie, but just I don't know. It's something Sad. about it because you're just like, oh, Tracy.
1: And people say Roger Moore can't act serious, well, and like, we'll get to a scene later on.
2: He's just yeah, like I've always talked down on Roger Moore, but just this whole sequence, I think is works well. And I'll get to the car bit in a minute, but. Just that whole situation there, it's just, it's great. And then the bidding and just uh, everything. And was I the only one who, like, when he walked off, I'm like, well, you drink, like, forget. And then he gets it eventually. So I was like, oh, that's good. He's still got his drink. Like, I always get weird about that when you see in movies when people order food and they leave. Like, who does that? I want my food. I want my drink. It's... <laughs> it's- People biting metal and
0: leftovers that really bug
2: <laughs> Um, And also, it bugs me too that, like, you got vampire jaws, but, like, how does he manage to, like, not have them bleed everywhere? Like, I'm sure if I bit into your jugular vein, Colin or Noah, like, there's got to be a shitload of blood everywhere. Like, he's got some pretty clean biting muscles. for me,
1: I've got a metal neck, so I'm sorry. <laughs> Yes. Um, well, I, I kind of just... A- but in there, I kind of made up my own backstory for Jaws. I like to think that Jaws was maybe like, I don't know, Stromberg saved his life or something, so Jaws owes him or something. And I could just picture Stromberg, like, getting Jaws' teeth all ripped out and then, like, inserting this uh, C-related teeth into his mouth and, like, just really torturing him and making him do brainwashing him. So that's my Jaws made-up backstory theory two of the week.
2: Well, I was reading, actually, it's funny you mentioned about a backstory that, look, you two would have read the novels, but in the novel, um, I'm reading here about the backstory of Jaws. Now, I don't know if that's actually in the original novel or was in, like, the novelization of the film? Like, do either of you... Is Jaws in the
1: actual book? Well, there is no, a novelization theory. of the film as well. But that's what I mean. Yeah.
2: So that's... Well, it's got well, it's... here that... The novelisation by Christopher Wood gives Jaws a backstory, so I don't know if you want me to read that, but this maybe we can put it up on our site because it, it tells a little bit about his backstory in the. I'd be book. interested
1: to hear that. Maybe not now, but I would be. Interested it's, it's a to bit read long, that. but uh,
2: maybe we can go in that after. Um, the whole uh, one thing I I love the out of order sign that Bond puts on um on Caliber when he's when he's dead. That's funny. Uh yeah the the whole <laughs> the whole car desert the fight. Like, you mentioned about the the pyramids. I would put this up for being in the Hall of Fame. It's just... It's so good and like I love how Roger Moore handles this and just the acting and it's just he's so calm and he's just the the one-liners that you mentioned and he's just so witty and it's just oh it's, it's so brilliant we, we did mention the Egyptian builders line um, like when
1: that collapsed <laughs> <Egyptian builders. laughs> and
2: of course the woman drivers line like
1: is that a thing Egyptian builders
2: well it was, it's funny because uh, another tidbit about the behind the scenes I was reading about this film is that when they were filming in Egypt like a Egyptian authorities followed them everywhere. They actually needed to keep an eye on them, you know, to make sure that nothing was painted in a bad light for Egypt. So in that scene... Um, Roger Moore was told to like mouth the the work, the line and then they dubbed it over later because oh. in case that they it would offend Egyptians and apparently though the Egyptians loved it like it was actually they thought it was hilarious so they didn't actually need to do that I was
1: going to say that's why they've never gone back yeah
2: but like, I love that line and just how it is and like Jaws surviving this whole fight like it's just a it's a constant theme in this movie like Jaws gets the shit absolutely kicked out of him but he yeah, just I think Jaws Is Baron Samadhi. He's immortal. (laughs) Yeah. And you mentioned knick-knack. Do we not want to see like a Jaws knick-knack (laughs) spin-off? (laughs) Spin-off. (laughs) <laughs> I no, remember small, but I never forget. Ah, um,
1: <laughs> and odd job. You have to have odd job too.
2: Yes, odd job. Um, but so
1: ah. <laughs> just <laughs> ah ah. Um, yeah, it would be pretty boring. knickknack. Uh, not could much have conversation. A lot of acting because jaws and odd job. I do not understand you. Hans,
2: Hans will come in and do all the talking, whisper as well. Um, yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> What? Whispers for the writer. That was we, awesome. we
0: are going to do Three an episode henchmen. of 007. What? We each play a character. It's going to be a podcast of Whisper, Jaws, and Job all talking about the henchmen Fox.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <The> International Henchman <laughs> Federation.
1: What? <laughs> 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 <laughs>
2: but yeah, look, just so good, so amazing, so great. And um, yes, there we go. That's enough. I want to
0: credit to uh, roger moore for something and again people often say well he's just you know he's good with the comedy but that's it and then he makes his movies too funny i think that there are people who are scene stealers like you take a guy like robin williams right robin williams is known for being like a great scene stealer but robin williams is also going to steal the scenes and there's something that Roger Moore does in this movie with this actress Barbara Bach who's not a great actress (laughs) where he's delivering one liner after one liner after one liner but Roger Moore gets that the whole point of the scene is that he loses in the end you know so we have this string of one liners and then she gets the last one where she's like shaken not stirred and he does this eye roll but (laughs) the way Roger Moore does it is he's not rolling his eyes as in oh that was bad he's rolling his eyes as in oh I feel embarrassed she just owned me on that you know (laughs) so He does this scene and he gets that the punchline is that Bond loses in the end. And I always like that about the scene that even though she only has one, it's like she beat him. It's like this battle of bad
1: uh, Bond, The idea of Bond feeling flustered and trying to make a comeback. Well, shut up, (laughs) spy girl. (laughs) Woman who's a a spy and not as good as me. (laughs) Bond really struggling with his. He used them all (laughs) up during that. Yeah,
0: well you're and and your mom and your Well mom. I
1: killed your boyfriend.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh God. That's funny. Are you like that, Anya?
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> nee, 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 nee. <laughs>
0: there has to be like a role playing episode of this podcast. Though. <laughs> uh like following this again, we had like these small scenes, like them in the back of the van, and then she's sleeping on them. And, you know, they're kind of banter, uh, the keys won't get started. They're battling over the microfilm. And then the next scene where it's the boat ride, and this is where, you know, the, the whole microfilm's examined and everything. And the flirtation is very heavy at this point, but a lot like, again, from we're making a lot of comparisons from Russia with Love here, but a lot like in From Russia with Love. This is a movie where the two sides are just constantly playing each other, and they know that they're playing each other, but it's just who's going to get the upper hand. And in the end, you know, Bond is knocked out. You know, Anya's got her gadgets too, and Bond's knocked out. He wakes up, he treks through the desert to Lawrence of Arabia. He ends up in another M slash Money Penny slash Q on the scene, and who does he find? He finds Gogol and Anya have beaten him there, and they've joined forces. So. We have this quick scene where uh, Bond finds out that they're going to align, and then they all go to Q to examine it. Um, this is again just the story moving forward. I don't think there's a lot that happens here. The scenes aren't that memorable, but uh, I do like again, like when we see Q and Money, Penny, and M. They're all and like you said, I mean, why is Q there? Like, did they need him on site? The air miles he's racked up just to do the simplest jobs that he could do Q anywhere thing. else. Q is bon. Uh, the, <laughs> <is> the, <laughs> the thing with um, uh, Q, I think, is where these scenes is really something worth talking about because we get another classic Q scene. And I think this is the first real proper one we've had since Gold Thing, where you're seeing a lot of gadgets tested. Some of them won't even come up in the movie like usually Q, Q scenes are, but we do see some come up. And we get the great line where there's the floating... Tea set that decapitates the dummies like, I want that ready for Ahmed's tea party. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking in my head, like, is this like part of an assignment, or is this some friend of yours, and you <laughs> want to play a trick on them? <laughs> Great Q stuff in this. Uh, the, the the knife coming up, it brings a tear to your eye. Uh, <laughs> and then there's the the really funny thing where they're all talking, and again, Q's brought in a briefing, and they're talking about you know, oh, that's you know, belongs to Carl Stromberg, and Q says. Carl Stromberg, Stromberg? It's like, no, it couldn't be him. He's one of the richest men in the world. <laughs> yeah, because Goldfinger wasn't evil.
1: Um, <laughs> uh, it's it's yeah, all those Q's homeless really... people that are the major villains. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it was all those hobos like Blofeld and Goldfinger. But, uh, I think Q's really this star <laughs> the star of the secret I love that Q's brought in on... now, the... Professor Hobo. <laughs> Um, but yeah like uh, I think that Q really saves this sequence here, not that there's anything wrong with it but we're not only getting Q on the scene but there are things that are appropriate and that's the one thing I liked about the gadget stuff that we see here in the past it's like well why is Q there but here the gadgets they're testing are things that you could imagine, Their agents who are on location or stationed in Cairo or anywhere in the Middle East this is what they'd be using, so in a way it almost makes sense in this sequence uh...
1: Yeah, well, Ackman's Tea Party. I assume he lives in Cairo. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm I, not a massive fan of MI6 on the scene, but it kind of becomes a Roger Moore trope, but whatever. Um, Penny really gets shafted this film. Like, that's her only scene, and she has, like, three lines. Uh poor Penny, um... And I wondered if it's because they're just like, oh, love Maxwell, she's getting old. But then I was also thinking, Anya is really the only Bond girl in this film. There's no... There's no, uh... What would you call it? Plenty, or there's no, um... I don't know, Tilly. There's no secondary one here. So maybe it's just because Anya was such a big focus that Money Penny got such a raw deal. I'm not sure, um... I love the briefing, how Gogol's there, and I love how you have M proud of Bond when Mm. uh, he says, that's it, and good job, 007. Because M, (laughs) you get to see another side. Yeah, because he always gives him a hard time in the office, but then when it's up against the Russians, then this is the star-prized agent, and good job, 007. (laughs) I really love that scene so much, M proud of Bond. And then, of course, Anya gets it and Gogol strikes back. Um, yeah, not a whole lot other than setting up the second half of the film. But I think there are some fun moments. And as you said, the, the tea party. Um, it's been a while since we've had crazy gadgets going on in the background, which is always my favourite cue moments where you see this, like, what are they doing with that in the background? So it's, it's a fun scene. I'm not a huge fan of MI6 being in a temple or whatever. We'll see it again in Moonraker. Like, it's not my favourite.
2: I'm confused about slow motion spring that we had in that whole, like we had slow, (laughs) use of slow motion. That was, that was strange. Um, I don't really have anything to add. I, I like, um, when he gets in there and he sees, um, Anya and General, I'm going to call him General Google because I think it sounds better. Um, (laughs) Google, <laughs> but, and you see Anya, and she's kind of got that real, like, cockiness, like, you know, she's beaten him, like, because she's gotten the microfilm, so, she's all like, nah, 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 nah. Um, but, yeah, and then the whole oratory thing, like, where they're zooming up on that, like, zoom in on that, what's an oratory, and <laughs> what, what do they say it is, like, it actually is a thing, before they work out it's a labro- laboratory,
1: like, Oratory, Dr. Leiter. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> um, a genuine Felix Leiter. <laughs> so, so good. <laughs> Why is that funny? We talked about that last episode. Um, I've got nothing else to add. Quick, I'm, I'm, I'm going backwards in time frames what we're talking about. Oh, that's funny. <laughs>
3: the
1: genuine (laughs) feelings all right moving on um wow i have a a note
2: we didn't laugh that much in the last episode why are we laughing so much now i don't know uh
3: we can talk about the next
0: train sequence on its own i think uh we've been on trains a lot and trouble just seems to follow bond there is what i noticed like, why does he always does not... catch
2: trains like he always yeah, gets like... attacked.
0: <laughs> i know I, and obviously you know he T- he snuck on the train and red grant ambushed him on the train and jaws snuck on the train but i wonder does bond miss the action like when he's just riding on a train it's a peaceful ride does he just walk up to like some random guy <laughs> and punch him in the face and say, like you want to fight it's like this is what I do on trains, how about it, you know? I, well, I, I,
1: I didn't know that they had uh, the Cairo Express straight to Italy.
0: <laughs>
1: Why are they even on a train? Um, the,
0: the the one funny thing I found here was that, obviously, Bond and Anya have just eaten dinner, and Bond says, uh, I'm surprised you have such a healthy appetite, which is basically a nice way of saying, you just made a pig of yourself at dinner, Anya. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Then we get the, the quick fight, uh, and gets knocked out. Um, again, the, the, the clever thing that they do with these Roger Moore movies. And I remember when I was talking about this in both Goldfinger and he only lived twice that sometimes the best fights aren't well relying on Sean Connery or Roger Moore to do it, but just stage it in a way where you're using the environment. And I think that's, what's fun about this train fight, even more so than the previous train fights is it, it's not just two guys fighting in a train. I mean, you have things like the using the light uh, fixture the, to electrocute his teeth and everything, and then dumping him out the window. And I think it's a really fun fight scene. Um, I do wonder, though, with Anya, is that when she comes to, she's basically... Now, all of a sudden, she's you know, all over Bond. She's like, you saved my life. But from her perspective, she just sort of got knocked out. She didn't know that Jaws was about to <laughs> chow down on her, but she's assuming that he saved her life. So uh, that one moment... We're, again, we're saying we're going to be nitpicking little things in this movie, and it's just kind of a minor complaint I have. is that She really shouldn't be turning around on him so quickly because he saved her life, because from her point of view, she didn't even know what he did.
1: It, it, it is a bit Tanya-like. We keep bringing up From Rush with Love. It's like, when did she suddenly become a good guy? Um, apparently, I'm working with the good guys now, Mr. Q. Yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Any excuse. Um... I, I enjoy it. There's not a huge amount going on here other than a cool fight. I would still say From Rush with Love is better, but this one has always been a memorable one for me. It's so awesome. I love the one-on-one, and I think this film should be called Jaws the Revenge, not uh oh, better, love better than the actual movie called Jaws and the, Re- Jaws the Revenge. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Jaws and the Revenge. Is that like the other shark is called Revenge? Um yeah, it, it's a great fight. I love the using the the light thing with the teeth and then out and it's night time when he falls out. Um, and I love that he just keeps getting up and he's never going to die. It's just amazing. I, I love it. It is a bit Red Grant, like how he's just following Bond the entire film. Uh, I think it's amazing. I love it. Um, not much of love for me, but far better than T. and one of the best train sequences in any of the film.
2: It's great. I just had this picture when Colin was talking about him just getting on trains and punching people just back from Dr. No when he punches that guy. Where's the girl? I don't know! <laughs> 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 like, he thought he was on a train. That's why he did it. Um, yeah, I've got nothing to add. The only, the one thing of my notes here that I wrote that I thought would be hilarious is that when he falls out of the train and he gets up, it'd be hilarious if they panned out and there was He sitting there going, oh, happened to you too, did it? Um, <laughs> or
1: Baron Samadhi's still <laughs> on, on, the train. on the front of the train. But yeah. Rides trains around the world.
2: It's 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 kind of like Bond on trains and Bond in skiing. Like <laughs> just can't yeah. catch a break. <laughs>
0: um. After this, they basically arrive in. Uh, okay, this is the one location I am always confused about. So, w- this place they go is this a country? Like Sardinia is is it a country? Is it a province? Like, what is this place? I assumed it was just a
1: location in Italy.
2: Um, it is, um, a small town on the Mediterranean, uh, sorry, it's a, it's an island, oh, wow. um, off the Italian coast in the Mediterranean Sea.
0: Is it part you of Italy, it's Italy though? It's yeah,
2: yeah, a place to have
1: a massive villain there, It's an auto- a small island. an town.
2: autonomous region of Italy, the second largest island in the Mediterranean Sea, after Sicily, and before Cyprus.
1: Right. Jeez, you're
2: smart. <laughs> so is Wikipedia, but... Um... <laughs> all off the top of his
0: head, everybody. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> yes, I, um, I know a lot about a Mediterranean islands.
0: So we start a sequence of events, which is basically Mr. Sterling's Sardinian adventure. Um, he assumes <laughs> another identity, which is a complete bust. Somerset to you. <laughs> he really needs to stop assuming these identities, because nobody's <laughs> buying it, are they? Like... It takes about two seconds for everybody to catch on. <laughs> that's not Scaramanga. That's My not Mr. Nash. I'm in <laughs> yeah. <Stanley>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get the correction from, from Rachel with Love. Uh, yeah, so we're introduced to... Uh, I guess you could consider her uh, a Bond henchman. Um, I don't know. Would she be considered a henchman? Oh. Uh, ben Patelman, <laughs> it's a small part, but Naomi... Name. Oh. I don't know if I consider lame. I think that there's an interesting idea there. It's just there's not enough screen time. But I mean, we really do get that Stromberg is exactly like Scar Manga because she can't be concealing any weapons in that bikini she's wearing. Um, You have to wonder. She has a couple of weapons. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But Naomi picks them up. Um, There's a little bit of Bond playing his Sterling thing, and then we get Bond meeting Stromberg, which. It's the second Stromberg scene we've had, and it's again, it's carbon copy of what we've seen so many times before. But I think the performances of the actors really pull it off. I was always bothered by the scene in here where he's testing Bond's identity, and he's like, "Well, of course you know what that fish is," and he gives like this, uh, crossing his arms, like, "I've got you now." Like, it's, just, <laughs> it's a little bit too over the top, and then I Bond know. has Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bond has the stall and everything and of course it's such a brief meeting like i think this would be my one complaint of the movie you know the meeting with the villain when they were writing the movie maybe they just felt like they needed to introduce a villain like we need something in this spot so this scene is just it's completely pointless because the second bond walks out of there you know why is he there in the first place i don't know to study atlantis but he doesn't see anything in five minutes and as soon as he's out of there like those are the guys that attach you to Jaws, and it's like, yeah, it's like, that's James Bond, that's Anya Massivine. He knows everything about them. And the even more confusing thing is that, you know, before we get into the whole action stuff that's about to come, is that he tells Jaws, wait for them to get on shore, and then kill them. Well, you're in the middle of the ocean with nobody around. Like, they're still in the building. <laughs> Put a bullet in their heads.
1: Yeah, why didn't they just use the target Tanaka branded slide? Yeah. Um, well, the helicopters—like the clearly <laughs>
2: they—you know—you have bombs on helicopters, so
1: maybe that was the last helicopter they blew up. My well, own... the
2: pilot union probably caught wind that uh, all these <laughs> the, these helicopters just happened <laughs> to Going be to
1: Sardinia. Happened to be blowing up. <laughs> Dangerous air in Sardinia. Um, yeah, I like to think uh, that they could have maybe for the the meeting the villain scene they could have done mini putt-putt inside the Atlantis <laughs> or something. They obviously couldn't do the Goldfinger uh, golf scene, but they could have played little putt-putt like Sylvia does in Dr. No. I'm Arnold Palmer. And she's um, playing. <laughs> she's actually playing there. <laughs> yeah, Sylvia <said laughs> Sylvia Stromberg. She's like, oh, no, fuck you, James. Well, that could be when we're talking about the villain's uh, children, uh, Sylvia Stromberg. Um, she yeah. could be... Uh, Case could just be her uh, stage name. And then we've got the Ar- Ar- Arnold Palmer guy uh, there with Bond. Um, so that would have been better. Uh, we we didn't mention that when they arrive, we get to see the first glimpse of the Lotus. And I'm not sure if it you picked that up. Or not. Anya calls him Major Boothroy. Yep. Which annoyed me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I just associate Boothroyd with that idiot from the first one. Um, and, like, why did they have to do it? I mean, Tiffany calls him Mr. Q. Why did she have to call him Major Boothroyd? But I guess she's more of a professional... Um, I don't know. It's weird. he's also an
0: idiot. That's why... <laughs>
1: Yeah, but it's just like who came up with this? Like after fifteen, uh, after nine films, we're going to call him Boothroyd again. It's like I, it just sticks out to me. Um,
0: well, I mean, I'm just going to cut in really quickly. I think the answer to that is again because they've taken this time to show the backstory about how these two sides know everything about each other, despite the fact they're like a secret agency. So the fact that she is calling him Boothroyd is almost in a way telling him, like I know everything about you. I kind of like that.
1: Was Q in the Navy too? or... We don't uh, know the QVAC story.
0: He was, uh, yeah, he was, he was uh, the guy on the boat that uh, <laughs> built the rudders. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, yeah, um, that's
1: what I heard too. <laughs> um, the, the meeting, it, it, it's not like I'm bored, but there's just not too much there. Uh, we have the weird thing where he doesn't want to shake his hand. And then I since read that uh, Stromberg has, like, webbed fingers, like he's from the ocean or something, but they did not go to any effort to show that. Like, I don't want to shake your hand, and it's like, well, there's a reason for that, so make it a bit more obvious, because otherwise we're going to have to read it on Wikipedia Um I don't hate the scene, it's just kind of random and not one of the best bomb-meeting-the-villain scenes. But there's some art right stuff in there. I just wish that we got a bit more backstory and character from Stromberg other than he loves the ocean, wants to build an underwater city.
2: My question here is, how did Q get there? Like, he just knew that they were going to be there at that exact point on the boat. Like, I mean, convenient. Why wasn't he on the
1: train? <laughs> um,
2: and I, I do, we do get one of the most famous Q sort of interactions that is often shown when it comes to showing who Q is, of course, when um, Bond gets in the car. Q, have I ever let you down? Closes the door frequently. And then he drives <laughs> off. Yeah. Q um, is
1: in so much of this film. It's the most Q so far.
2: I love, love, love Naomi. She's, um, just amazing. We knew
0: you would, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But If, if a woman appears scantily clad and has <laughs> less than four lines, she's one of Ben's favorites. <laughs> but,
2: but in all seriousness, like, besides the fact that she is absolutely gorgeous, like, I I kind of just like her playful nature, like, she's meeting yeah, bonds. She, no, like, that, hear me out. Like, she, she's she...
0: the poor woman Xenia on a top, basically. Like, I'm saying that in all honesty. Well, it's like.
2: I can, see, I, can, I, can see. I can see that, too, because I think, like, she, 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 she's just evil. Like, she meets and, like, she's kind of, like, doing this, like, flirting thing, even though she knows that, quote, he's married. And then, obviously, when we get to the chase, she's, like, driving the helicopter and does a little, you know, look at Bond as they're flying there, like, sadistically. Like, yeah, I just... I don't know. I just... I like her character, even though she says like four lines, and I love the fact that like the relationship with Anya, like oh god, darling, she can show you around, and then like they come out of the elevator and they're like having a conversation. Um, I also love Bond's line when um they meet her for the first time and she says something like, "Oh, you're on holiday? Well, where there's an ocean, uh, the marine biologist is never on holiday." <laughs> Like, what? Really? Like, marine biologists go on holiday to the beach? Oh, I better study the fish. Uh, <laughs> and the whole the whole interaction thing, like, it's just... Yeah, it, there's something about it that I thought was a bit funny because, like, yeah, they've met up, they've gone into this room, they've met for, like, two minutes. Oh, I've got somewhere to be. Okay, off we go. <laughs> like just why um yeah like does the scene
0: let's be honest does the scene need to be there does bond need to meet stromberg
2: i i think i think you could do away with it like i just feel that yeah there's just not a whole lot in it because it's just like it's it feels forced that it is i think it was colin you Mm might have mentioned it it just feels forced that oh shit we're an hour or something into the movies
1: the villains haven't met yet we've got to have this thing I think you do need it, because otherwise the only time Bond and Stromberg... Like, maybe they could have done it better, but the only time Bond and Stromberg interact then is when he captures all the sailors, and at the very end when he shoots him after, like, 30 seconds. So I feel like that would not be enough, and it's like they don't even know of each other otherwise.
2: Can I just quickly point out really quickly here, because I know we're about to get to this chase sequence, and it involves the Lotus, but I found it very interesting when it came to the Lotus that... um, I was reading that uh, at the time of Bond, at this time, of course, it was very well-known, one of the most biggest franchise in the world, very lucrative for sort of companies to be featured in the film. So the PR manager of Lotus actually, like he wanted them to be in a Bond film. So he actually turned up to <laughs> Pinewood Studios driving the Lotus, um, covered like all the names of Lotus and covered everything on the car, so Nobody knew what it was. He parked it, Outside the set, so that producers would see it, the car, like, had all these people who were attracted around, like, oh, what's his car, what's his car, what's his car? He got off, drove off, and then, as expected, like, um, Albert Broccoli, like, chased it down because he really wanted to know what it was. and so That's how he got it in the film. And I believe after this, it was, like, the biggest selling car in the world for, like, at least a year, but,
1: yeah. So also and cool also story. the the most wrecked cars in any year because everyone was driving them into the ocean. <laughs> yes. Why won't it turn into a submarine? Yeah. The <laughs> well, most selling car talk- and most spent on insurance as well.
0: <laughs> why don't we talk about the Lotus really quickly then since we're already on the topic. Um, I know that this is such a popular Bond car and some people consider it even above the Aston Martin and I think as far as as a gadget mobile goes, it's the inspector gadget mobile, um, <laughs> as far as like a car with gadgets, uh I do agree. But if there's one thing that hurts some of the Bond movies in the 70s and it's it's the dated look of stuff. And I always felt like again having not seen this movie until, you know, probably around the time of Die Another Day, so hey. you know we're talking 2002. I always liked Bond cars that uh, were, you know, very classy looking, and this looks like such a cheesy 70s car now. At the time, I can understand it was probably really popular, it looked different, but I look back on this, and I'm like, to me, it just looks tacky, you
2: know? I I disagree, Mm. just jump in front of it, I think it's a very sleek, sporty looking car, and yeah, I can see maybe it's a bit, I don't know, dated, but... You still see these cars. You still see cars that are very sleek like this, and like I'm a fan of sort of sports cars, and I I, I love the look of the Lotus. I think it's a, it's a beautiful looking car, and maybe I can see what you're saying in terms of like a classic car, and it's it's sort of it doesn't look as stylish as an Aston Martin. I'll give you that, but like it's I don't know I I have I've seen I'm pretty sure I don't know if it was the exact one from but but like I've seen I've been to car shows where I've seen Lotuses that look basically exactly like this, and I think they're amazingly like i think they're a beautiful looking car but i don't know i just
1: you you, you went to the car show but had to leave when people started biting the cars. yeah so. like they were just
2: <laughs> everywhere it was just biting the door handles
1: off like why well, won't these lotus open
2: <laughs> <laughs> get out of here. Um, I,
0: again i'm not i'm not i don't really know anything about cars but I, and it's probably again hurt by the fact this was like the second last bond movie i saw and after we get past the 80s you know bond is driving classic cars again so for me it doesn't any more look like a bond car but i mean as a gadget it is very cool
1: i kind of agree with both of you um on one hand it does look a bit dated and clunky but then all you need to do is fast forward half an hour and see the jet ski and everything's over and suddenly the lotus looks amazing after you see that fridge jet ski um <laughs> <fridge> jet ski. <laughs> uh, i don't know i kind of think it looks a bit cool and sleek, but then it's a bit blocky but all is forgiven when it gets in the water and starts ripping ass. So, I th- yeah, I, I, I still love it. it I'm, maybe not my favourite one, but I think it's fantastic. And I did get to see it at the James Bond car exhibition in London. So that was pretty cool to get to see the Lotus. Um, I think it's still up there as one of the best. And the scene, we won't jump to it straight ahead, but it is amazing. So I, I'd still like the Lotus, but I can see both sides of the
2: story. Top three Bond cars, I reckon, of all
1: time. <laughs> Yeah, I would probably agree with that. But again, like yeah, Coleman, I'm talk- not a car person, so I just like the classic ones, really.
0: We were talking about how there's a lot of cue in this movie, and this is the Lotus sequence. We basically have three back to back action scenes here, and it's all the Lotus. I mean, we're getting another thing about Roger Moore just delivering one line after one liner because basically he's just holding a wheel the whole time. But these sequences are so good, and it's so hard to. I mean, obviously, it really you know, climaxes with the underwater stuff. But even before we get the Lotus going underwater, we get this great car chase and, you know, they're going around these corners. And one of the things that I like in the car chase is that we're not seeing green screen really. And you're seeing the actors, like the real actors who are playing the henchmen. And you can see this real car speeding down the road And they're sticking their heads out in the hair, like it it was very real. And I think this is one of the first times we're getting a lot of interaction with the real speed of a car chase. Hmm. Um, Following that, you know, we get the the helicopter chase, and uh, Bond kills Naomi. Sorry about that, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) And then the underwater car chase. Oh, (laughs) underwater car chase is so good. I mean, all three of those scenes have their best moments in it. For me, the car chase. (laughs) I love the uh, the car that falls directly onto the house, and then the guy comes out and he's like, oh, mama mia!" Mama, mama, mama. <laughs> I always wonder, like, I wish it was subtitled. I've tried to subtitle it, and I don't know what he's saying, but like. Do we have any theories on what he was saying? It's like, Mamma Mia, this never happened to the last homeowner, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I would love to know what he was saying there. Um what
2: I think the hell is that? In Cherto? Is that what he says? I've written down there, Mamma Mia in maybe I'll Google translate that. Keep talking.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh,
1: my pastor is ruined. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh god. <laughs>
2: you
0: got to wonder sometimes do they take the 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 extra time to get a real translation or is that going to end up being complete gibberish yeah, probably <laughs> the helicopter chase i think you know a really good moment with the the missile taking out the helicopter and of course the underwater stuff's great this is i think one of the reasons why the scene with stromberg doesn't work because in my opinion the fact that bond has this underwater car and he can immediately go all around atlantis this is what he needs to see he didn't need to if he's posing as a marine biologist meeting Stromberg, he's not going to learn anything new about you know, missing submarines and nuclear missiles. He had it to go around there. So this isn't just cool car, car scene. I mean, we're getting real plot involved in here as well, and great underwater photography as well.
1: Yeah, I don't get why they didn't just use the Lotus in Thunderbolt and run over all the bad guys underwater. <laughs> that would have been much faster scene than what we got. Um,
2: Grand Theft Thunderball.
1: Yeah, Um, oh, that would be fun to, yeah. Um, I love this. It's just like a relentless assault. It's one of my favourite scenes of the movie. Great action. It's just over and over and over and over again. I like to pretend it's three blind mice again uh, in the car when it falls off the cliff. It's just they can't catch a break. Although this one, did it catch on fire? Um, I don't think it did. It did, didn't it? Isn't there a smoke? Yeah, it probably did, yeah. But Jaws survives everything. Um, yeah, the helicopter, it's like, oh, we got rid of the car. Oh, here's a helicopter on the side. Bye-bye, Naomi. I uh, like how Jaws is involved with it as well as other random henchmen. Like, It's not just like, like Jaws is in the car and he's trying to shoot as well. And then I still remember, I said I didn't remember about Anya at the beginning, but I can remember watching The Lotus for the first time not knowing what was about to happen. Of course, an underwater car. Like, how did I not think of that? Um, And the scene, I forget how long it got. It's not long, but I forget that they have a lot of action going on in the car with the gadgets and driving up onto the beach. is just always so funny with the fish and then um, the The guy with the bottle. Yeah, who we'll be seeing a fair bit of uh, coming up. So he, he gets around a bit. So, nothing bad, just like none of this is cheesy, none of it looks super dated. Love the underwater, it's one of the most uh, entertaining and interesting and unique gadgets in all of the films, and it's really such a great precursor of action leading up to the tanker, which is like one of the most ultimate action scenes. So, from here on out, we had the suspenseful and kind of investigating in the first half of Cairo in Italy. It's just action, action, action. I love it. I, the motorcycle
2: that has the sidecar, which obviously turns out to be, like, the (laughs) missile thing, like, um, why didn't we have uh, the missile? Was it Goldfinger when she's on the motorbike and she's shooting at the missiles? Thunderball. Thunderball. Like... What's going on with Bond villains? Like, they, they can't afford the, the missiles in the bike anymore, so they've got to have a sidecar like that?
1: I just wanted uh, Froline to be in the sidecar <laughs> shooting, like uh, Tracy. Uh, but, yeah, this whole scene. Goldberg's
2: sequ- wearing a neck brace for no reason. <laughs> be more like, well, yeah. <laughs> It's a great sequence. I've, I've Googled... It's all well, trans- bitter. I've Googled translated Mamma Mia in Cherto, in Cherto, and it says Mamma Mia in Sam um so that's what it, in some in some but in some of my pasta um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in some of my house um and what was the lo- i've written here i can't remember the bit where he says all those feathers and he still can't fly Was that when like yeah goes the off the car cliff? went off the cliff i think yeah it was a small-headed man <laughs> yes <laughs> but yeah it's great and just like I I feel, maybe, I don't know, Nora, if this is one you were thinking of before, but I feel when it comes to the Hall of Fame, the other scene that just automatically goes in there, surely, is is the Lotus just driving into the water, like, that is just shown over and over again, and it's just, it's great, like, it's so good. Um, and the whole sequence. I, know, I love the music. Like I've written a porn thing because it's very like now 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 now. Very seventies. But is it the sequence where um, those like the yellow submarine things? He live in a yellow submarine. Like they come after him, and then you hear that. Like it's re- like no Colin, you did it perfectly before. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Yeah, that. Like it's something like that that it goes. But. um... Yeah, I've written here, and she did explain it, though, when um, Anya presses a button, and I'm like, how the hell does she know which button to press? And she's like, oh, I saw the blueprints of this car two years ago.
0: That's such a cool moment. Like, again, there's this history where these people know everything about each other, and we sort of find out throughout the movie.
2: Yeah, it's it's great. And look, I was I was going to bring up a debate. And I'm not. Well, I'm just going to mention it because I know you two are going to shut me down something chronically, and I don't want to take away by the lotus. But people shit all over the invisible car, and here we have a submarine <laughs> car. So, like, come on, people. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to side with you a little bit Ooh. on that. Um, <laughs> I'm not
0: going to side with you on the invis- like the invisible what? car is dumb. But here's the thing: you have to wonder. If they had never done this in the movie, you know, the rest of Die Another Day is a mess and people often look for things to complain about it. The Invisible Car is dumb. But had they put a car that can basically float underwater and turn into a submarine and the first time we saw it was in Die Another Day, people would probably complain about that when it came to Die Another Day. And, and I think that it's a testament to how Lewis Gilbert, this guy that made a complete cartoon farce in The Only of Twice could take these absurd ideas and play it so straight and Spy Who Loved Me, that's what makes the difference. I think it's the movie itself that sells the car and the ridiculousness of the gadget.
2: Good call. Good call. I like it, Colin Hilding. Well done. You're
0: welcome. I'll have many more of those
1: to come. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Ah. Thank
2: you. <laughs> and i just really quickly sorry, Colin. I didn't mention about the fish, but that is one of my favourite scenes in all of James Bond history. Yeah. The driving out of the water and getting to like, I don't give a shit about the plot hole of how the hell did a fish get in there? Surely that means the car was leaking. It got shot. It was leaking. That's why they had to drive it up. But it's just, it's, it's brilliant. Like, it's so, like, slapstick con- comedy almost. Like, oh, there's a and- fish in the car.
0: Only Roger Moore could basically have no expression at all. And by just the way he holds the fish and yeah. the way that his eyes shift, it is the funniest thing you've ever seen. Like, Roger Moore is so on fire in this movie. And he's playing it straight for pretty much the only time in his his whole tenure as
2: Bond and I will say too quickly one thing I meant I forgot to mention too in terms of I mentioned Roger Moore's facial expressions and I mentioned with Naomi's sort of little wink that she does I love Moore's facial expression when he kind of does that little side mm-hmm. nod as if to say like oh okay then like just the way he looks at her in that scene there's nothing said it's just it's so good mm-hmm. uh,
0: very important scene after this and I think it kind of needs to be talked about it on its own and we talked about this a lot as soon as we were getting ready to watch this fight love me and that's the next scene where bond and and you know, really figure out you know how this whole thing started you know they're already on the same page they're working together but there was this small moment at the beginning of the movie and again like lewis gilbert was so bad with the exposition in you only live twice and here things are done where you don't even realize it i mean like you said you kind of Can remember at this point that Bond shot a guy. Like it was shot in a way where it was noticeable that a guy died, but you weren't committing it to memory saying, Oh, I bet you that's going to come back later. So suddenly we have this moment where Bond mentions that he was in Austria and Anya's putting it together in her head. She's like, Okay, well, what about this guy? Have you ever seen him? And Bond basically has this confession where, you know, whether he remembers or not, he figures, Okay, I know what she's talking about. And she figures out Bond's the one who killed her boyfriend from earlier in the movie. Uh, this is about as dramatic as anything in Roger Moore's uh, era gets. And Roger Moore, without going over the top, without being melodramatic or anything, he plays it so straight, so dramatic. Roger Moore's performance really holds up well. And I think you could take this scene, you talked about it you know, off-air, Noliti. You can take this scene with him and Anya here and hold it up to anything any other Bond has done. And this scene is so good.
1: Yeah, this is probably my favourite scene in the film. Uh, Maybe part some of the action stuff, but that's just because I love action stuff. But, um, yeah, it's... Like you just said, like, people always... Like, I say screw you if you think Roger Moore only did comedy and was only goofy because... This is probably more serious and better acted than anything Connery or Lazenby ever did. Um, Well, maybe not Tracy's death, but I think Roger Moore probably could have pulled off Tracy's death after seeing this scene again. Um, Well, not killing Tracy, but yeah, Um, it's amazing. And it's a great callback to this kind of little subplot that's been going on. Like it's not, critical to the film but it is still important and it's not the main plot but it's still there to add depth. Um I think the acting is amazing. Roger Moore is so good um and I love it that when this is done I'll kill you then. And you just see in his face like, oh I am always joking, it's time to take this seriously and you just see in his face that um my wife got killed so I know exactly what this is like. Um I can understand what's going on because I went through the exact same thing and I'm responsible for doing to you what someone else did to my wife. Um, So does that make me a bad person? But I I had to do it to survive and for my job. So it is a very good scene. It's one of the best scenes in the history of the series probably and one of the most serious and well-acted, even from Anya, Barbara Bach, who we've been kind of ripping into a bit for her acting. I rewound and watch this scene again i think it is flawless and amazing and it just really adds some more emotion to this film that which is more serious than the past two but is still goofy but this just adds it to make the perfect mixture of uh, a film that is shaken not stirred
2: and it adds a little bit of extra danger for bond too because you kind of yeah. think well fuck he's going to save the world but he's going to get killed at the end of this like it's I mean it's rare I guess in Bond films, sort of pre Craig, that we really have super serious moments. And this is one of them. And yeah, I think I shit all over more as a Bond and again, like he's improving through these rewatches, but just you can't take away from him in this scene. I mean, you know, Craig era Bond films you have moments I feel a lot more frequently like this, but they're obviously a completely different tone of James Bond film. So I mean we're still in the times where, you know, we've, we've, if you, you go through the plot, they're sort of very OTT and we've just sort of witnessed a scene where a car can turn into a submarine. But, like, we still get this element of real seriousness to it. And, like, we, we're sort of mentioning a lot to from Russia with Love and, Colin, you said sort of, you know, each side is trying to play each other and all that sort of stuff. But, I mean, you didn't really sort of get in from Russia with Love like Bond trying to get killed at the end of it. It was sort of that relationship. Whereas this one, you feel like they're both spies. They've both got their missions. They're both trying to achieve something. And, and like, y- you might turn around with this comparison and think I'm trying to do something with it, but I- I'm honestly not. Like, there is actually a reason I'm bringing this comparison up with someone like Jinx, who is also obviously a, you know, a spy in that sense. But by the end of it, There's never that in Die Another Day between those two, and you could have had that whole element to it. Whereas this, I think, it's a perfect way of doing it. And, yeah, this is just, it's great. It's a great scene.
0: As much as I love the scene, and I think you nailed it perfectly Noel. where it's like the last line is basically that when this mission's over, I'm going to kill you. And you have that one look on Bond's face. I mean, that's a perfect way to end a scene. And it always kind of bothered me, though, that when we cut to the next scene, the very next shot, is Bond and Anya basically being, you know, lowered from a helicopter on the submarine. And Bond's just kind of goofily smiling at her. And I always felt like that kind of drained a little bit out. Like, <laughs> her, the look on her face is still like, I want to kill you. And he's sort of like, it, he's not smiling as not like, hey, be happy. It's more like, like he's like, as if he just made a bad joke, you know? He's so awkward. Like he's
2: that, like, oh, fuck.
0: Yeah, it, it, it drains a little bit out of what we just saw in the previous scene. And uh, I don't know if it was... Partly done, you know, to make the audience forget, so that when it came back later, you know, with her trying to kill him, it, it was more effective. But that's just a small moment that bothered me. Um, after that, they're they're basically onto the uh, American, or is it American or British? The submarine they're on. I didn't really pay. I know the captain it's, sounds American. It's
2: American. Right? He's I assumed it was American.
0: Yeah, so they're on the American submarine, and um, they meet the captain, which. I'm going to say it right now, Un- Unsung Hero, the actor Shane Rimmer, uh, we've actually seen him two other times before this. He was one of the Mission Control guys in You'll Live Twice. He was Tom, the sec- very clueless security guard in Diamonds of Forever. And here he gets a really big role in... Yeah,
1: Tom mask. mask. <laughs> <laughs>
0: He's wearing a Tom mask. He's wearing a Mission Control mask. <laughs> These masks McDonald. are coming back. <laughs> um... <laughs> But yeah, like uh, this guy, even outside of James Bond, he's been in everything. I mean, th- he was in Star Wars. Uh, I had to look up because I already I knew he was in the Superman movies. He played two separate characters in Superman, and he's in Star Wars where he's the guy who asks Luke, you know, this R two unit yours looks a little bit beat up. You want a new one? I mean, very small <laughs> roles, but he, he has a history in some massive blockbusters. So I'm going to call him an unsung hero. And I think his character is probably the most fun sidekick uh, that we have um, in most of the more movies of the '70s here. And then we get a little bit of stuff on the the submarine. We, you know, have the revealing of Anya, where he's like, "I didn't realize you were a woman." Um, <laughs> and then it's like, "You're welcome, which comes across very awkward, it's like, "You're welcome to use my shower." And of course, he's not saying it in a pervy way, but that's the way it comes across. A quick scene of her in the shower after that, which I know Ben freeze-framed. Hey, there
2: was obvious nipple there, of course. I freeze-framed it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's not a surprise. And then the Liparous swallows them. Um, You only live twice, (laughs) plot continues.
1: What film are we talking about? Wow,
2: nipples and swallowing.
0: Um. Yeah. Yeah, we'll just kind of end it as they get on to the Liparous and the unveiling of it before we really get into... Stromberg and his plot you know we have the introduction of the submarine here and the set is what we really have to talk about here because up until now the set and you only live twice it's like it was probably something that was looked on you know 10 years later we're at this point where people are thinking the size and scale of volcano set will never be topped in any movie and here they build something with the inside of uh um the the liparis which is bigger as far as size goes than anything they'd ever constructed they built an entire soundstage to hold it uh and this thing is enormous and i think in some ways you kind of take it for granted because on one wide view there's so many different sections it doesn't necessarily look as big as the volcano but you have so many sections you go inside i mean this is arguably the greatest set that probably maybe even to this day has ever been constructed i can't even fathom how much work went into constructing this
1: yeah, Ken Adam is a genius. Um, he's the unsung hero, I think. Um, it I don't know if I like it as much as the Volcano Base, but it's hand down one of the best sets in the history of the films, and it makes for it such a great location for a big battle. Um, and it's not really the villain there, but in a way it is. And it's just so cool. It's so massive, and this big... Explosions going on, but then you realize this is in a ship that all this is happening. I love it.
2: Um, we mentioned you mentioned Star Wars. Um, I, I feel it's very Star Warsy scene when when the uh Lipra swallows the submarine, kind of right back to the opening of A New Hope. That was sort of my notes there. Um, oh, yeah, well, yeah, Spectre's and uh, Blofeld's Death Star, yeah, I think <laughs> is in the new film. <laughs> Um, yeah, I've written here obvious nipple, uh, I've already mentioned that, uh, but, <laughs> um, but, yeah, look, I, I the set's great as well, I mean, I've still got a very soft spot for the volcano, I don't know, but this is up there with the volcano, I have to well, agree. Well, there's no ninjas here. Yeah, there's no ninjas coming from the ceiling, and no Hans, so, um, but yeah, and the whole bit where they've captured, and they've got to give up, and come out there, and, Oh, it's it's great, and it's sort of really obviously starting to set up into the uh, concluding. Well, you know the cl- concluding scenes. Not when, we're not about to end like right now, but you know. What well, I mean.
1: it is like there's still a, probably half an hour left. But you're right though, this final scene is pretty much the rest of the film. It's just bit, one big long battle, and then a confronting Stromberg. Really,
2: I I just really quickly, Colin, as well. I love the. Like and not just because she's in the shower, but I love the re- i love the reaction of the random sailor dude who comes in and he's just like, "What? Haven't you ever seen the commander take a shower before?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, you mentioned when they're they're forced to come out and surrender. Um, that's one of the scenes I think that's almost unintentionally funny. And uh, first of all, I do like again just real quick mention remake of *You Only Live Twice* or Stromberg being inspired by uh, Blofeld. He's got Blofeld's monorail, and he's just remounting it. <laughs> yes. I loved it
1: when I saw that.
0: Um, when they do get them to... Uh, two main things here. When they do get the surrender where they all come on board, first, we actually see... We finally see the Lewis Gilbert floating camera we've been wondering about in every movie. <laughs> because the floating camera becomes part of the plot from this point on, which is awesome.
1: Um, I wish then, uh, they didn't come out, and they hid, and we've got, we'll be back! We'll be back with yeah, the dogs! With the dogs. dogs. <laughs> we'll be back with the dolphins uh,
0: I, I like that strawberry again, yeah, this is unintentionally funny, where the only moment where I think he really doesn't have anything intimidating of him and yet he's saying something so vicious, he's like, Surrender, the alternative is extermination by <laughs> cyanide gas. And like, <laughs> like I would have rather you just said the the, the alternative is death, but like like extermination extermination by gas by cyanide <laughs> gas that you will die from like, <laughs> on on. i don't really think that uh, he sold it and i always wanted right there the the captain to you know be like surrender tom the security guard may have surrendered but not the captain
2: <laughs> <laughs> i have to live on to tell luke to uh, possibly
1: give up his droid <laughs>
0: Yeah, um...
1: who the bad droid?
0: Very very quick scenes here with the whole surrender, and then, you know, obviously they they take the hat off, and they see it's Anya, and Stromberg goes full-on perv with this, and (laughs) figures, it's a woman! Um, Bond killed my other one, let me take his. So, uh, brief discussion about these scenes here.
1: Uh, Well, not a whole lot to add. I do like how they get caught, and the the big battle is almost them escaping, uh, in a way... So I think that's kind of cool, and it's not just two astronauts and Bond going to space almost. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Bond's still up there. Well, you say that, but next film. Um, Oh, God. So so, not a whole lot to add, but I do like all these scenes. Like, I don't have a whole lot to add because they're bad. It's just, like, general getting caught um, and then learning of Stromberg's plan, but it's all fun, and I do like how it has to be, like, a big escape at the end, kind of.
2: The only bit I'll add is I just love the fact that when they're getting marched off and the reason why Anya gets caught, like they then, you know, bring those two to me, is because they knock a hat off. And she's like, punch like, fuck you, that's my hat! <laughs> <laughs> like, that's where the hat went. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, and like... You my hat. That's and you took it. There's a big thing in Bond films about hats. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, we have basically the beginning of the three-part climax here, I think. And the first part is, again, taken right from You will Live Twice. It's just a battle between these captured soldiers or um, seamen. um, (laughs) The captured seamen and uh, the the minions of Stromberg. And a a few cool moments of this. I I love, we always talk about, like, you know, the, the random henchmen. Here we have a random ally, just a random crewman where they're like, we'll never get into that control room. And I was like, it's okay, sir, I can do it. And I'm thinking, he's, finally, somebody other than Bond gets a hero moment, and of course he fails miserably. Total failure. Uh, cool little scene where they're trapped inside. Like, again, you said this is basically about them escaping, but we get the quick thing of they're trying to take the control room. And they have to remove the detonator from a nuclear missile. And uh, the One thing you said about how, you know, you pile this new thing on there with the whole death of uh, anya's boyfriend from that point on this movie just becomes one problem after another this would be a very simple climax and maybe a guy hamilton movie but here they're like okay well he has this problem now he has another problem now he's got to get in the control room now when he's in the control room he has to figure out what he's going to do with these missiles and now he's got to blow the, the the doors up and I like that they take the detonator out. I think that the tension in that scene is insane. Hmm. Still to this day, when I watch it, you know, he's again, Roger Moore playing it so straight and they're like, you know what happens if it touches the sides of the walls and he's like, the bomb will go off and you don't feel the need to be like Stromberg and be like the bomb, the nuclear bomb will go off and blow us up. <laughs> you know, will explode.
2: There will <laughs> yeah. Be fire. And you will die <laughs> from burns and guts going everywhere.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I think of all the things here, I mean, we see him riding the invisible camera all the way to the explosion at the control room, like fantastic <laughs> stuff in this sequence. This is it's not you only live twice, but it's kind of like you only live twice and then something else and then something else and then something else. And I think of all the Bond climax we've seen, this has the most to it. And yet there's still more to come after this whole sequence is over.
1: Yeah, coming off Diamonds Are Forever Living Like Diamond Man with the Golden Gun, we're finally back. Um, yeah, one thing I didn't like is Anya getting taken by Stromberg because it kind of turns her into a damsel in distress from a Bond equal, and I'm not, not a huge fan of that. But th- this climax is hands down one of the best. It's some of the best action. I love all the explosions, people throwing grenades. Sometimes it's hard to tell a bit who's who, but it was fine. Uh, Love more with a machine gun, like I loved it when Lazenby had a machine gun, too. I think that really works, and in his navy uniform as well, it's just works so well and as you said the the tension and the pressure like you can see on Moore's face again, brilliant acting. he looks exhausted and looks like in ten seconds or in ten minutes, we could all be dead, like you see that mm. on his face, especially when they shoot the missiles um. To the other subs like you see is this going to work is this going to work please work like you see it on his face and some of the best acting from more like compare that to uh goldfinger stopping the bomb <laughs> random <red> guy, guy. <laughs> yeah yeah where was the random well, guy mask
0: <laughs> there is a line in there just really quickly want to come in there where um uh they say when they're diffusing the bomb and he's like, "You sure you know what you're doing?" And Bond goes, it "Has to be a first time for everything." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In, in a way, that reminded me when he said that line. I'm like, oh, Goldfinger." There we go.
1: <laughs> it's it's great though. One of my favorite climaxes, and so much tension, so much action, and so much awesome. I love it. It is, yeah, very tense. And is
2: it magnetic when he's like the when he's pulling it out? Because it's sort of when it drifts across. I don't know. Sheer sure, magnetism, darling. <laughs> I don't know if it like it's meant to be magnetic or that was just kind of. Bond losing his focus a little bit, but um, we, we yeah, the plot with the whole the bombs that are going to obviously destroy what Moscow and New York, um, I love and North f- Dakota, but no uh, one noticed.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> I love the fact that like when they blow each other up, so you have got these two random nuclear explosions in the Atlantic Ocean. We're not worried about a tsunami like w- wiping out like <laughs> each side of the
1: yeah, Crab Key is going to be drenched. <laughs> Poor Honey. <laughs> Honey's just yeah. like got in a shell <laughs> underneath <laughs> the Honey mango. Tree. The
2: under <laughs>
1: <shell>. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I love the bit when he's on the camera thing and he's like trying to fall backwards and he's like he's like yeah. yanking it. And he's like uh, uh, it's like not working, um, and then it finally goes. And um, yeah, it's great. Um, the, the one thing that. Like, I just question, I think, Noah, you mentioned it earlier in regards to sort of your theory on the, the title of the film and why he goes back to save Anya. Like, I get that, but at the end of the day, she's just said she's going to kill him when this is all done. So why is she, he just not like, yeah, just blow it up. She's going to kill me anyway. So <laughs> that's
0: you no. Know, you see, that's why I was saying earlier that I really do think that the title is in reference to Bond. And this is what's interesting about the movie, because... You don't get the impression that you, you get the impression that Anya's maybe falling from a little bit. But this is a complete reversal of roles because you could not say outside of uh, at least of the movies we've seen, obviously Vesper later, that he was in love with anybody other than Tracy, you know, with Pussy or Domino or Goodnight or anybody. Solitaire. It was more just, yeah, <laughs> solitaire. Yeah. But it really was kind of the opposite with them where they were in love with him and he was sort of along for the ride. And you kind of get that in this movie. And that's what's interesting is that at this moment, you're realizing she has said she's going to kill him. So he doesn't have a reason. He should be like, yeah, let it blow up. I don't want to die. you know. (laughs) But instead, he's like, and I always loved how serious he was where he's like, you know, we've been told we need to uh, blow up Atlantis like immediately. And he goes, but Anya's on there. Like, he's so serious and so emotional about it. That's why I think it's so clear that he is in love with Anya, and And it's so interesting that she really isn't with him at this point in the movie.
1: My argument, just to fit with my theory, that clearly was not the producer's intention, but um, that I just when I saw that, I feel like he feels like he owes her um, her life after killing her boyfriend, and he knows what it's like for Tracy to be killed, which is why he goes back uh, because he doesn't want that guilt and. I get the sense that if if he was killed, not that he's like gonna let her kill him, but I get the feeling that he wouldn't be too upset about that. I feel like Bond is doesn't have much to live for other than helping uh, England need to me, uh-huh. and maybe it's getting a bit heavy here. But I feel like he is kind of a blank slate, and uh, if that did happen, he would be like, oh, "That sucks. Um, this is the end. This is the end." Uh, <laughs> Uh, I don't even know. what I'm just chucking out some theories there, but I do like that he goes back for her. I just don't like the whole he's in love with her because I just don't buy it.
0: Well, do we like the jet ski? Let's talk about that. (laughs) Because (laughs) we have... Yeah, Q has sent a jet ski in a bag, which uh, I don't know about you guys, but I have at least six of those sitting around in my (laughs) room. Oh, easily.
2: Easily. (laughs)
0: it it's one of those things where i think the anticipation because we're so used to it at this point the subtle references you only live twice and you're almost expecting it, you know when something comes up here you can connect it mentally in your head that we're thinking this is gonna be something like little nelly and instead we get a very cheesy looking jet ski and again maybe it's just me looking back on it saying it looks so 70s but like, Kind of a letdown. There's this big moment. I love that the James Bond music is playing. We get to see Roger Moore really riding this. That's good. But the build-up was really <laughs> building to something bigger, I feel like.
1: Yeah, the jet ski is the one thing that makes this film look dated. It does look like a free jump water. It's it's not great. Um, why didn't he just kite surfing um, by another day? Uh. Yeah, I still like it just because of the music and sneaking in, but not really sneaking in, but just there's only one way in, is to sail right up to the front door and go in. So I like it, but yeah, this is the one thing that makes the film look dated.
2: Funnily enough, this was the very first use of a jet ski ever in a movie, and it introduced the jet ski. So this was sort of the very first... um, you know, iteration of a jet ski before, obviously, they're quite famous now. So, um, the only thing I'll add is I love the whole um, interaction when Bond's, like, you know, going back to get it. It's like, give me an hour. It's like, no, 40 minutes. Okay, I'll give you an hour. Yeah,
0: I know. Like, shouldn't that scene be going the other way? It's like, uh, give me an hour. It's like, no, 40 minutes. All right, Bond, I'll give you 30
1: minutes. Like, that that would be a good play. It's like a reversal of the... Sylvia and TypeSense. make that one hour. <laughs> when I sh- yeah. You need to be in the MR6 in half an hour. It's like a reversal. I, uh, I-,
0: I do really like, like you said, it is just a damsel in distress thing, but I think they've been so good with Anya as an equal up until this point. And we, we kind of touched on a little bit earlier, but we can maybe just finish off on Anya and the sequence here. Because I don't think this damages her character at all, and I think though know, there are plenty of times in the movies where uh, you do just have the damsel in distress, and it's always unfortunate. I think when people look back on, and I always looked at it, but when you look back on Tanya in From Russia with Love, and you're like, wow, you know, there was a really competent agent. It's like, well, she wasn't. She was the epitome of damsel in distress. She was the epitome of useless for the most part. And I think they really fixed that with Anya in this one where she was a real equal with Bond and yet they don't overdo it the way they do with Jinx for like, let's just show her being better than Bond in every way. Like, she's just Bond. She is his, like the they referred to Gogol as like the the equal to M. She was equal to Bond. So I don't think it necessarily hurts And here, Kenny but-
1: Money, the receptionist at the, <laughs> the KGB. <Yeah. laughs>
0: um, But I think that she's such a good character, and I always saw her as one of the better Bond girls. It has taken a hit now that I look at things like the performance, and Barbara Bach's performance is not very strong, but the character is so well-written. There was even talk of giving her own spinoff. I mean, there have been a lot of characters since, you know, Michelle Yeoh and Halle Berry, there was talks about them getting spinoffs, but there were talks about, you know, an Anya spinoff, and obviously even talks about reusing her in the next movie or so. Just in cameos So she was obviously A very popular character At the time But I think that her character Definitely stands up Outside of the performance As one of the best Bond girls
1: Well that's funny You said Talks about her coming back Because I was thinking Watching this movie Like Gogol comes back She could have easily Made another appearance Not as a main girl But just Showing up um, In a KGB related plot I think it would have Easily worked And would have been great To see Them interacting again But not so much damsel in distress it's just more that i would have liked to see her kick some more ass in the big final battle rather than just be taken away from it and we don't barely see her um but i would defend her to the grave i don't know if it's a recent thing the kind of hate on anya or that not liking her as much it could just be with the recent trend but it's something i've read a fair bit and yeah her performance isn't good but she's in almost every scene of this film and she delivers when she needs to deliver. Um, and she plays being a Bond equal so well and she, I think her being not the greatest actor works in her favour because it works like she's a cold agent who doesn't have much sense of humour and isn't that expressive. I think it works. That's what a KGB agent probably would be. Um, so I will defend her to the grave. I think she is, hands down, easily top ten, maybe top five. She's a spy. She does everything well. Um, she's serious but has some funny lines and all-round great. I, I love her and I will defend her. I don't think just because her acting isn't that great that she's a bad bongo. I think she's one of the best.
2: Are you defending her because you're a Ringo Starr fan? Said <laughs> the fuck <fire>
1: controller. <laughs> what? Thomas the Tank Engine. Yeah, I know that, but like... Oh, God. (laughs) We had Inspector
0: Gadget and Thomas the Tank Engine referenced on this episode. Um, That's what
2: he says all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were calling me fat. I was, like, offended. (laughs) Um, It wasn't me, it was
1: Ringo. He took over me.
2: (laughs) Ringo
0: considers you fat, Ben. It's not Noah.
1: (laughs) Fuck you, Ringo. It's Ringo. Um, Yeah, look.
2: She's a terrible actress, but... Uh, she's such a good Bond. I I feel as though she's got to be up there, just based on. I I, I think she maybe with Trace, like she's the first Bond equal. I I, I feel like the first true Bond equal. Um, and you know, I mean, you would say maybe Trace, but Tracy, I guess, wasn't a spy. Um, and she was missing for large portions of the movie. So, and yeah, look, I don't really have much else to add, but. I'm just actually looking here that she posts for Playboy, so. um.
0: (laughs) We we knew you were, Ben.
2: (laughs) I I was reading actually just interesting bits about her, and it said here that she. And I just got distracted the whole time, so. um, Yeah.
1: Was she in Blue is the Lesbian (laughs) Root?
2: Oh, God. Don't get me started on that.
1: Let's
0: move on before Ben gets his his chance here. Uh, um, We have the real climax now and again I always liked that you know we've seen the previous Bond movies uh, where you have the big climax and then you have the last sort of add-on scene where Henchman's back and here we get something different where we have the biggest action scene with all of the effects and the, the giant set and as many people and as many explosions as possible and then you have a very small personal thing and you know we talk about how Stromberg isn't really the best developed villain but I feel with just a few lines, this last scene, it always feels bigger to me. And when I go back and watch the movie, I'm always surprised that it ends so quickly, the meeting between him and Stromberg, because it's probably less than a minute long with only a few lines. But the lines that are there just sum up everything the movie's about, where, you know, he's coming for Anya, and he's like, you know, uh, a British agent in love with a Russian agent. And then, you know, there's the whole large gun under the table, and Roger Moore, again, playing a completely straight, you know, being like a stone-cold killer, just... Shoots him right through the barrel of his own gun. And then the rescue of Anya and the fight with Jaws, which again, like using the environment to make a fight scene interesting is what really helped these Roger Moore movies as he got older. And again, I love that they can do things like have the goofy smiling and a giant magnet coming to his teeth and him killing a shark, which is basically Jaws killing Jaws. And they're doing these ridiculous things, but the movie plays it so straight, and I think that's what really makes it work, is that they're not treating these like jokes the way Guy Hamilton did. Uh, so we really have a couple of things going on here, and then the flooding of Atlantis, which again, that looked like they did it for real, and when they're trying to get out and Bond and Annie are being washed away and they're screaming, I honestly believe that the actors were screaming because they probably thought they were about <laughs> to drown in the scene. Like I love that sequence.
1: Um. Yeah, I don't like the Bond versus Stromberg. They had so less of a relationship as it was that it's kind of just like, oh, it's Stromberg. Uh, I'll shoot you in the dick, and that's it. Like, <laughs> there's nothing else to it. Um And it's so fast, as you said, Colin. And I, I was thinking, even though I have seen this film multitude times, I just keep thinking, oh, is he going to get back up, and they're going to have a fight, like. It's just so fast, and it's just like, oh, okay. Um, and then the Jaws fight is amazing. I love the whole set there. Ken Adam, you've done it again. Um, it's great final confrontation with him after so many fights, and the magnet, it just works. That fight with the shark has always stood out as one of my favourite scenes from this film. I just think it's shot so well, and of course Jaws would be a henchman to fight it. Shark... Um, so that's all great, but the Stromberg stuff, it's just such a lackluster end to a lackluster villain, and it's one of my only criticisms of this film. But one thing I was wondering watching this is, do you think in the original film, when, when Atlantis floods, do you think Jaws was originally intended to... that was just the end of him? Because then it's just a very little scene that is attached to the end of it where oh, Jaws pops his head up and he's swum out. And do you think, and I'm not sure if there is an answer or if it's just a matter of opinion, I'm not, it may have been said, but do you think like they originally had him killed but then he was such a good henchman that they thought, oh, we'll make him pop up at the end in case we want to bring him back, kind of like a Baron Samity thing? Or do yeah. you think he was always supposed to survive the flooding? Because I kind of get the feeling he wasn't, but then they wrote it in at the last minute.
2: I think what you just said there, I think that, he, there may be test audiences and all that and they just saw what he was like And they filmed that just in case And I think that he probably was meant to die And then they decided to bring him back Similar to like a, a Pepper Pepper? J.W. Pepper Like as in how uh, they yeah, brought like him
1: back When
0: J.W. Pepper was originally shot to die,
2: and <laughs> to die. <laughs> No, it's insulting um, Pepper
1: Yeah, I was thinking Who's Pepper? Um Yeah, it's
0: Uh, Sorry, my opinion of that is, I think that's definitely a possibility, and that's the story that's sort of been circulated around over the years that he tested very well. But I think in order for that to have worked, there would have been some deleted scene somewhere that we would have heard about where he did have his death because you don't just have a villain like Jaws, you know, assumed to be drowned uh, so that Noah could count his death, you know, (laughs) at the end of the movie, Uh, but. I think that the fact that that scene is, it definitely looks like it's just a on scene, but anybody who has seen the real Jaws movies knows that they just had him fight a real shark, and his name is Jaws, and at this point, when at least when they're filming this movie, Star Wars hadn't come out, so Jaws is the biggest movie in history, and the shot of him swimming away is just an exact duplicate of the final shot of uh, Hooper and Brody swimming away at the end of Jaws, so... I think I could see it either way that this was just a fun ending where they're like, you know, we probably may use him again. We may not, but let's just end this as another reference to jaws, just so that the audience gets a bit of a laugh. And maybe that laugh's just sort of lost now because jaws isn't as widely known.
2: We only needed, um, when he's attacking the shark shark for bond to turn around and go, we're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah, um, um, <laughs> when, when
1: he's with the lady at Husan, I think we're gonna think we're ne- gonna need some bigger boobs.
2: Um. <laughs> I love like yeah. jaws attacking a shark. I mean, come on, people! Like that is
1: just gold. Like, <laughs> yeah, is- it's a great shot scene. But I, I just love just to summarise the climax is I love that it's not the same set that. We've had the big battle and then Bond sneaks off and it's like, all right, I've got to go in and we're racing against the clock. So I think it makes for an exciting and unique ending. So I like I like it. I just think Stromberg's death is meh.
2: Yeah, I think it just sums up Stromberg, to be honest. Like, it's just, that's how it is. Um, but, I mean, that's to me, I, you know, like, to, Jaws is basically the, you know, he's not the big, big villain, but, like, he's the star villain of this film. Um but I don't really have anything to add except, you know, the the escape and they're in the little moon buggy pod. I don't know what the hell that thing is, the escape pod. Um, and what, what's... Um, uh, what was it? what was
1: Bartho's son.
2: Bartho's And uh, when he gets a Don Perions 52 or whatever, oh, maybe he wasn't... <laughs> I can't remember the line. He's like, maybe he wasn't such a bad person or whatever. Um, but, yeah, and, of course, we get the famous line at the end. Um, what... It- of seven, what do you think you're doing? Keeping the British end up, sir. Nobody does it Like, it's, I mean, it's, uh, it, uh, it doesn't ruin the movie because it's hilarious, but it's just like, we just had this awesome movie and then oh, we're right. ending it with like a variety show. Like, nobody does it Like,. <laughs> all you needed then is jaws to be arm in arm with Stromberg, like kicking their legs, doing <laughs> showgirl oh,
0: kicks.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's all you needed at that point. Um, but yeah, no, it's that's uh, it's 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 an interesting ending, but with an interesting little closing bit. <laughs> I
1: think it works. That's
0: also the like we had the scene with Goodnight in Man with the Golden Gun and M on the Line, but. There, yeah, there's a brief, you know, innuendo in there, but this was, at least at this point, I feel like the most obvious innuendo we've ever heard. And I think that's that one line, you talk about how it's a little bit goofy, but this is like the moment, I think, where people in the theater were like erupting in applause and cheering because you had this very serious movie and very heavy and a lot of action. And then you have the most absurd, filthy one liner you've ever had in a Bond movie. Followed by this show tune. I mean, I would if I were seeing this for the first time, I would just be like laughing so hard and wanting to applaud at this point. Like I think that's the perfect way to end the movie, as ridiculous as it is.
2: We should mention quickly too the fact that um going to kill Bond, but then doesn't. So
0: yeah. that's again why I think that it really is that you know Bond's in love with her because he has this shocked look on his face and that and i love that even though she doesn't shoot him it really shows that he was more invested in her than she was in him for a change
1: i think it would have made for a better film if this was the one besides quantum assault where he didn't get with the girl and she just says at the end something like i forgive you and then he smiles or something and then you know but he does (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> as, much, as much as I love that, you're probably gonna have to drop that for this ending, but just I forgive you or something and for once they don't get together and then it just has an ending. Um I think that would have worked really strong. But I do agree it would it is such a great silly ending to a great film, but I think that also could have worked really well.
2: You're forgetting too, I mean, um of course he doesn't get with him at the end of Skyfall, so <laughs> Well not that we saw. Necrophiliac Bond <laughs>
0: uh also i think you know the fact that bond looks embarrassed you know there are a lot of moments where bond gets caught in these situations and it doesn't bother him but especially watching this past time i love that when they're first looking in the window it's like 007 it's like tra- agent triple x like bond does this this look and he looks a shame for himself and then it's right after he's like i'm just gonna play this off i'm james bond for goodness sakes you know but it's so funny that he feels embarrassed by this, and we never see Bond in a situation that uncomfortable ever again.
2: I want a triple X there, like turn around and be like, "I'm living up to my name."
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, we know I think that the that am blatant
1: her. enough. We don't need to have a reference.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, we should talk again really quickly just before we end on the end of the movie. That James Bond will be back in <laughs> for your yeah. eyes only. I mean Moonraker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, the only time, I think, where they listed the wrong movie at the end. You know, there's obviously talk over the years that, you know, the end of Thunderball uh, at one point said Bond will turn on her majesty's service or whatever. And But, like, we, we actually have it still to this day that it said James Bond will turn in for your eyes only and before we get into talking about moonraker later on like it's always been confusing to me that they would jump from obviously they did an original screenplay because you know they wanted to start fresh and do something new but that they they were that insistent they wanted to skip moonraker that they decided let's go to one of the short stories now
1: it blows my mind that they haven't corrected that i've got the latest release blu-ray well not In a month or so, it won't be the latest. But how have they never corrected that over the years? It's crazy. Um, But technically, he will return in "For Your Eyes Only." It just won't be the next one. (laughs) It'll be a uh,
2: delayed return. That's a good good
1: point, actually. Because,
2: like, why do they list all of them? James Bond will return in Moonraker for your eyes only. (laughs) Octopus, if you do a kill,
1: (laughs) die another. Um, Yeah, so. It's funny that they wanted to, sk- this may be a conversation for Moonraker, but yeah, it was the last full novel, and it's one of the best. So it's weird that they felt the need that they had to go to the short stories after this. But maybe that's something we can research more and talk about next steps. So, but yeah, it's funny they have not corrected that to this day. I've Oh, well, we've to wrapped add. up.
0: <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to let you talk anyways, so don't worry cool. about it. <laughs> uh, thank you uh we've wrapped wow. up by who let me hear so we got to take care of our uh traditional segments that all have their nifty little intro music. now thank you way, in a us. way to
1: use nobody does it better in one of our <laughs> yeah. intros yeah We'll get right on that. Um, Maybe we can change well, the Hall of Fame to using that. Uh, Sorry, Hall, Hall of Fame's of fame a is a bit deep And
0: just for that reason, we are going to skip the Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And we're going to do Hall of Fame first. To the music, Ben. Hall of Fame.
1: It's the Hall, the Hall with the classic scene.
2: Oh, uh, Noah, you sound uh, so better. Uh, Every single time you sing that, you sound so much better.
0: Noah, do you want to give a shout-out to your band, just so people who love the Hall of Fame introduction music can hear similar songs?
2: Uh, <laughs> yes. Can Fanny Esther please yeah, do that, that live?
1: Hall of Fame! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> this is an original song. It's about a hole uh, It was a good friend of mine. It's a hole, the hole with get... the
2: classic seats,
1: <laughs> And we can do Nobody if Does... If we
0: get play. one th- one thousand likes on Facebook. <laughs> Fatty Esther of Snug will perform <laughs> Hall of Fame the theme song
1: <laughs> live.
2: I can see live. Zach doing strong along. Hall of Fame.
0: So jumping into the Hall of Fame, I think we, I think that this might be an easy one. But there are so many scenes that we love in this that we may fight just to see mm-hmm. where we could go with you know maybe the 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 bottom one of the three. Well, yeah, cuts. let's get
1: the two obvious ones. Uh.
0: The obvious one, I think, is uh, the the ski jump at the beginning. You know, I'm not going to say the entire opening sequence because it really is its own things. But Bond's skiing sequence and the jump off the cliff. That's and, obvious.
2: Hands down. And, and, not even a question.
0: Uh, obviously, I'm assuming that the Lotus Underwater has to be the second
1: not given. Not a question. It's there. Uh, yep. Yeah. So this and one's interesting. M-
0: My choice would be the Pyramids, just because everything about that sequence is so incredible. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that the staging of it's great, I mean the lighting's great, the effects are great, Marvin Hamlet's music is incredible, and... uh, (laughs) Like, all of it, it all just works brilliantly, so that would be my pick. Mm
1: -hmm. It's not a bad one. I was also thinking Bong Professors to Anya is a good one. I thought of that too. Ben, do you have a suggestion? Um, so many in this, we could have 10 for this.
2: I would almost go with the confess but the Pyramid's good too. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, uh, I think it's between Who
1: those Barbara Buff-pitch? I think, <laughs> I think it's between those two. Is there any more just before we make a decision? I feel like there's the climax or well, the b- battle, but we've always using battle. the shot in the dig.
2: And I think <laughs> <laughs> I think
0: there's the battle, so many things like if we were to do the whole, you know, assault on the Liparus, there's so many individual
1: scenes in there that I don't think we could we'll do it rank as a the whole. final We kind of have to
2: Yeah, mm, we'll do an yeah. episode
1: on the climaxes that we'll rank, but as in the battle of Bonds climaxes.
2: Ben,
0: the whole egyptian (laughs) building scene and then the van escape as another
1: one but yeah that's a good one too um yeah i'm going with them so you guys can make the decision i think both of them are worthy the pyramids and the confession so you guys i like them both um let's give colin one let's go the pyramids
0: Let's give Colin one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel that I feel was it it's like, made so many compromises on the kill count that we better throw them bone. <laughs> well, well I, I think
1: it's a great scene. Yeah, I have, have yeah.
0: I think it's totally worth it.
1: If you, if I'll let you have that. If you do, well, the it's music. better than the one you wanted with what you wanted. The changing in the closets with Mary Goodnight. It's much better than that. So yeah, I want. I want. <laughs> Collins yeah, did the music. That
0: is Hall of Fame worthy.
2: I want Colin to do the music now since we're giving him that. Which music? The 70s. <laughs>
0: there we go. Which we will now use as an intro to whatever we don't have an intro for. So that I can be the third performer.
2: I think we have an intro for everything. So I think you, we'll have to come up with a new segment.
0: There we go. Uh, new segment will be... What? <laughs>
2: Minutes we've spent without having to watch Rosie Carver We need
1: to stop this This is for pre-production meetings We keep talking (laughs) about our pre-productions on the episode Both our listeners have tuned out Uh,
0: Let's just come up with a new segment on the spot The best sound effect of the night goes to That, there we go There we go New new segment Um, Let's jump into the proper first one now Which is the Mr.
3: Kiss, kiss
1: Bang Bang. Love, Love that it
2: song. Theater. Great intro. Love it. Doesn't I mean, feature any singing, so... Not <laughs> well, as in for my ass, it features acting <laughs> singing, but like, proper singing. <laughs> also performed by Fatty Esther, if anybody's curious. Mr. Bang
0: Bang! Bang Bang! I think that, okay, I'm going to be honest, and the Bang Bang is really being left to you guys, which I know I'm usually very on top of the Bang Bang count, and... I was completely sidetracked because I well, love taking so that much.
1: pyramid scene. Then.
0: Yeah, <laughs> um, the kiss, kiss though—is it pretty obvious? This is it's just two,
1: three, uh,
2: isn't great.
0: it? Well, what's the okay? I have the Austrian girl in the beginning. I have Anya, and that's it.
2: And the Egyptian chick.
1: Oh, that's and right. We did sexual count her. Conquest. Yeah, yeah. The
2: yeah. we—if we're agreeing on that one, then the bit.
1: Well, if she's labelled sexual conquest, I think um... well, I could have just been like four plays. Uh, I swear I read it somewhere on Wikipedia or something. Yeah, you edited it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's why Bond has like Anya's listed as nipples in the shower. <laughs> I
1: just I just edit like, Wikipedia I know to on prove my point. Swear. In On Her Majesty's Secret Service, both men died at the canoe. I just <laughs> edited everything. Yeah, it that it says
2: it on Wikipedia. Look. Yeah. <laughs> edited yeah. by no. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, uh, three kisses i am say. Which is all right. So all
0: right? Martini. We have the one.
2: The one, yeah. I think. Yep.
0: And the it's the big first big one big in. Big. How long, Ben? When was the last time we actually had?
2: Uh... Oh, you put me on the spot. Um, let's see. Here might be since uh... on a magical secret. So... Yeah, um, um, it would have to be. Surely, um, it is. I'll come back I'm to me with that mad one no <laughs> Oh, on okay. You are. Decision. Never mind. Ha.
1: Uh, I don't know what happened to him. Did he go on a diet or something? It went to rehab. (laughs)
0: Um, We have the James Bane, James Bond, (laughs) James (laughs) Bane, James James Bane.
1: New
0: new segment. Colin flubs his lines. (laughs) (laughs) Have
1: we got the James Bane section?
0: (laughs) James Bond. Somebody else say it for me.
1: Bond. James James Bond.
0: Bond James Bonds. I can repeat it, but I can't say James it. Um, Bond, James
1: Bond James
0: How many do you guys have for that?
2: One. One.
0: Where does he say it? Because I didn't notice one in the movie.
1: Isn't it when he meets Anya for the first time? No? Yeah, I don't remember. I don't know because it's been two weeks since I watched the film, but there was definitely one.
2: Yeah, there was definitely one too. Hang on. If I scroll through here to see whereabouts I put it, my tally changes. Oh, no, um,
1: no sorry, it was James Baines they talked about. Sorry. <laughs>
2: <that's fine. laughs> oh, um, I think it's around... I'm looking here. Yeah, it's, it's round around round about when he meets Anya for the first time, because that's when I've added the Bond, James Bond, in there. So I think it All might right. be in the bar. When he introduces himself to um, to um to Max, isn't it? When he sits down next to him, yep. Is that it? Yep. That Probably. Now, is
0: that was that Max know. or is that Max Hussein? Because there seems to be some <laughs> confusion on the characters. <laughs> the
2: guy who owns the club.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then finally, we have the kill count, <sighs> which I'm so uh, I'm going to apologize in advance because I always have like the the, the, the time code stamp on <laughs> these kills, and I was losing track throughout this episode, just enjoying the movie. The only ones I actually marked down were uh, the Anya's boyfriend at the beginning, Sander, and then Stromberg. So everything else is up in the air.
2: <laughs> three. Well, there were more than three. Uh.
0: <laughs> well, that, I'm, I'm leaving it to you to decide. That's why I said no, I was we, we only had
2: one in uh, Man with the Golden Gun. But
1: I <laughs> almost guarantee it's not going to be a match here, so we're probably going to have to go with the average, because that tanker seemed just lost. All right, just give me a number then, Groves. Come on. Imagine if it was a match that would be like, ah, um, 21.
2: I got 17. <laughs> I've marked it. Well, I'll just quit.
0: Three, so our average is. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, okay. do you want me to tell you my 21? Yeah, you go, because I can tell you mine as well. Ski guy. Yep. Oh, well, and your boyfriend, Sandor. Yep. Uh, pyramids. Four guys in the car where uh, Joel I...
2: oh, Hang on, hang on, hang on. Stop for a sec. I Numbers. had yeah, I had three I had three in the car. Because I the fourth Because so did I because I thought the fourth one was Jaws and he walks out of it. No,
1: he was the, the cars have
2: five seats, but not yeah, some but do. It? Ferrari's There don't. was a guy in the middle. I swear there oh, Okay, well I thought there was only three, so
0: <laughs> I just saw it on Wikipedia as edited by Noah Girls. <laughs>
1: the there were four guys who died in the car. It was a five seated car. Um so, do we, you agree on that, or do you want to debate that? Oh, <laughs> all my, all my options! I'll agree with <laughs> it. like a fight? Like, do you agree with that? You want to go outside and fight about it? I've got after that, and I'm blanking on who this was, but I've written assassin Naomi in the helicopter. Guess so. But then after that, I've got helicopter. <laughs> you just added to me. That's like the well, canoe. Me was in the helicopter. like the grass guy. Occur. Guy in grass. <laughs> yeah, maybe take one off mine, so I've got twenty. Then I've got four guys underwater. Yeah, I've got two. Well, I've, it adds the four. I've got two separate
2: here, saying kill scuba guys times two. Kill two in subs. Yeah, that's four. <laughs> yeah, and then ship battle eight. Uh well, okay, I've just let me add these up. So I've got here kill two guards with spear, kill shoots two guards, kill guards, so that's five I have in that battle before Stromberg, so you've got an extra three there.
1: There was definitely more than five. Oh
2: God. Look, I don't wanna go outside and have a fisticuffs with you, so I'm happy to accept twenty of colonies. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not fighting the, for the mine. One here. Car-
1: Wait, if you had the one car guy, what do you have? All right, so I've got uh,
2: guy at the beginning ski pole. No, just number. Oh, I've got seventeen. And add
1: the car guy.
2: So that's eighteen. That yeah, and I
1: take off one. That's twenty. And then we didn't mention Stromberg. And then I wrote feckish lady question mark, but we won't count her. So shall we say nineteen then? Sure. Are we happy with nineteen? <laughs>
0: Um, yeah, I wasn't really paying attention to that. But, oh, uh, just like you
2: weren't in the movie. God, <laughs> what are you here for? I do have really a confirmation
0: because I was watching the scene right now and there were definitely five men in the car and <laughs> the underwater scene, I can't tell if
1: it's three or four, but I'm going to trust your judgment.
2: I think there's four. I think Nora and I both right. agreed there was I think four think there. if
1: we split the middle and go 19.
2: Yeah. Okay, all right. Go well,
1: with. that makes
2: it. I'll just go to the total because I just want to do a quick amendment that I have m- <laughs> mentioned <laughs> Because, um, Thanks, we, mentioned, Noah. we mentioned in Man with Golden Gun that he only had the one kills, so that brought him up to 98. We have adjusted that, if people have seen that on our website, to 99 because. In Live and Let Die, He Kills a Snake. Now, we debated whether or not to count that and we said no because we said we didn't count the spider in Dr. No. However, I have listened to our Dr. No recap since and we did count the spider. So, therefore, we have counted the snake. Follow this, if you will, people. Um, So, therefore, heading into this movie, Spy Who Loved Me, he has on 99 kills. So, his 100th kill was the boy. The boyfriend,
1: a big one for the Mm. one.
2: So anyway, with 19 kills, that brings up a total of kills to 118. (laughs) Oh, murderous prick. Um, Kiss count is up to 28. Martinis finally moves up to six. And Bond, James Bond, goes to 10. He's up to, there we go.
0: Uh, And we should say, after Guy Hamilton treated Bond as a softie for three movies, Bond is a serial killer
1: again. Let's all (laughs) applaud. Yay. He reached his 100. He's going for two now.
2: Hey, bartender, you're a beep. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Uh (laughs) Hashtag look at James Bond is kind of a prick on YouTube. Lots of homework for the viewers. I know, right?
0: And next week, I promise I will pay attention to the, the kills <laughs> in Moonraker. And well, we did they are... die when
1: they floated off to space? That's <laughs> yeah,
0: good question. Uh, how long did their oxygen last?
1: Yeah, we'll save that uh, next.
0: We have one more segment to get to, uh, which is... Rocky! Rocky! Rocky!
1: Ranking B, ranking. Ben, that was your worst performance of it.
0: Yeah,
2: a bit off that one. Sorry, guys. Just um, had a long night. Pick up your game. Yep.
0: But it is a catchy tune. Let's be honest. Fatty Esther will be covering that next week.
2: (laughs) Oh, that's Ben's little tune. Yeah, I'm gonna start a band called Skinny Esther So.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You won't be the front man.
2: (laughs) Oh.
0: I'm <laughs> because you're That's not a woman, and you wouldn't be Esther. That was Ringo that said that. that was Ringo. Wow, this is <laughs> yeah.
2: Bash Bed because he's fat. Episode, ouch. Wow, <laughs> it's a gender Ringo's
3: thing, not a weight thing, cool. thing. Let's be honest.
1: Uh,
0: okay, so rankings.
1: That <laughs> <laughs> pyramid. I'm not dangling over YouTube a clip with a tie.
0: What's that YouTube <laughs> video? calling is a dick. Is there? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Ringo,
0: all right we are up to our rankings and i have to say i'm so torn on where to put this um i think i know where i'm gonna put it so i'll i i won't you know pause for dramatic effect like uh um, some others do uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> the fat one Jeez. <laughs> Colin, you're really making some enemies in this last 10 minutes I should just know. It's a fat. rank.
0: It's what? Like two o'clock in the afternoon for Ben and Noah. It's almost midnight for me. <laughs> I've
1: been up since six in the morning. Don't so forget to stop being an
0: in Canada. We have almost to stay polite so long. Canadians are polite. You see what happens when it gets close to midnight? Now we're like gremlins. <laughs> and so.
2: beauty sleep, so we can't put water on Colin.
0: All right, so back to rankings. Uh, we're up to the 10th <laughs> movie, and I know I won't put this higher than On a Majesty's Secret Service. And I'm just going to say, out of the Bond movies we've ranked so far, previously on any other rankings I've done, which basically have gone unchanged for 10 years, I'd say, uh, I would have ranked this fourth uh, after On a Majesty's Secret Service from Russia 11 Goldfinger. I know I can't rank it higher than On a Majesty's Secret Service. I. Would like to rank it higher than From Russia With Love, but I just think the plot is so strong and From Russia With Love. And I think this is where I'm surprising myself because I didn't think that I could ever have something top Goldfinger as far as entertainment goes. But I'm going to switch things up and I'm going to say I would rank this higher than Goldfinger. So this will be number three for me. so
2: thought you said you weren't polling for Dramatic Effect. I mean, God, that was <laughs> just like... <large. laughs>
0: I said I wasn't oh, going to pause Dramatic Effect. I wasn't. I was fully intending to draw this thing out with a little bit of uh flair.
1: Jeez, I, I don't know if I can rank after all these insults. Um, <laughs> let me just pause for a second. Yeah, um, let's,
0: just, let's just remind everybody. Noah has diamonds are forever at number one.
1: <laughs> Wait. So did you actually say where you put it? I third. didn't. Listen.
0: Yeah. Third. third. Uh, uh, behind promotional love ahead of gold things. Um,
1: yeah, well, I'll just not pause for dramatic effect, but I'll do my summary of Spy Love Me now. I may as well, rather than doing it directly after we rank this. Um, this is an amazing film, um, not just a Bond film, a piece of cinema. It is amazing. Um, Mork is one of the best performances of any James Bond ever. The action is at the top of its game. Anya is a great Bond Girl. Dribbles is one of, if not the best, henchmen. So many great quotes while still being serious. There's the emotional scenes. There's mentions to Tracy. Um, there's some great cue scenes, some of the all-time best. You've got the Lotus, which is one of the best cast, um, some of the best action. Literally, the only thing bad I can really say about it is Strongbow. And even then, he's not one of the worst, but he's definitely not a top-ten villain. If that, this had a better villain, then I think this is the closest thing you can get to a flawless Bond film in that you can always pick apart things in this films, and that's part of the reason why I love the films is because they're like glorified B-movies, but this is probably the most flawless you can get out of any film. Um, coming into this... Uh, watch through like from the beginning Dr No I knew this was going to be a high one but I wasn't quite sure I knew it would probably be top 10 wasn't entirely sure if it would make it high if I'd liked it less whatever so that's my summary there's just so many good things I can say about this film and I can easily watch it any time of the day it's one of my favourites um and hello, <laughs> car beeping. <laughs> wow. <a> <laughs> I, I, Anya's here to pick you up, Noah. She's agreeing with you. Gee Somebody out no. there really
0: wants you to speed this up, Noah.
1: Let's <laughs> yeah. I was really putting effort into this speed. That's like if uh, <laughs> you killed my boyfriend. <laughs> beep,
2: beep. Well, well you're, you're, you're actually Bond, like chasing you up behind that truck. beep, 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 beep. beep, beep.
1: Yeah, Tilly's out that, there wanting a you to fix your rankings thing. already. Go, haven't seen Tilly. So I rank Spy Who love me. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's my summary of it, and I think they want me to speed this up. It's time for you to stop laughing at me for my previous rankings. Spot one, and I don't know if it will be number one at the end of this, but I'm going to say that there's a huge chance this will be. My number one out of all twenty-four films. I can't say for sure, but this is an almost flawless Bond film. It is amazing. Number one, uh, higher than diamonds are forever. I love
2: how you like oh, cut I'm out so slightly. Proud of you. You cut <laughs> out slightly as you said that. We still heard you say number one, but we like thought you were pausing for dramatic effect and were waiting. You. Yes. Beep, beep,
1: beep, beep. <laughs> um, um, I'm more flustered after that car interrupted.
2: Me. Well, I am going to pause the dramatic effect. And say that <laughs> that was a bad joke. Um, it's all right. Let's go through this quickly. It's better than live and let die. It's better than Thunderball. It's better than Doctor No. It's better than you only live twice. It's better than dams are forever. It's better than man with a golden gun. Which brings me to my top three. Ooh-hoo. I am going to say we've compared it a lot this episode to From Russia with Love, and I think it's better than From Russia with Love. So it uh, will knock that down a notch, which leads me to think whether it's better than Goldfinger or A Majesty
1: Secret Service. You need to pause for dramatic effect.
2: I feel as though that. We, we often go into these and we talk about how we like it, but we often rip a lot of shit into the film. And I, I honestly feel like this maybe is the episode where we've done the, the least amount of picking shit at because th- there have been little bits, but I don't know. Like, he got shot in the dick. Like, he <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know I, I don't know. I feel we've been the most calmest and you know, universally uh, praising this. I'm going to put it ahead of Goldfinger, which only leaves one extra spot for me to possibly take away from it. And screw you, Noah Gross, because I thought I was going to be the only one putting this at number uh, one. I'm putting it at number one too. Sorry, Lazenby. I took your flair. I love Lazenby. I will always love Lazenby. But I think my list stands up a little bit more uh, credibility because I have Honor Majesty Secret Service at number two <laughs> and not number three, where Noah has with Diamonds are fucking forever above it. So, yes. Ding, ding Ding
0: Dr. Ding. No third last, though. And yeah, that, that loses that a, a
2: bit of credibility. Top
1: <laughs> but, like mm-hmm. you watch mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. film, and suddenly, like we enjoyed *Live and Let Die* man with the golden gun. Suddenly, those films look like child's play after watching this straight after them.
2: Yeah, and I love *Man with the Golden Gun*. Didn't really like *Live and Let Die*, but like, yeah, uh, similar to you. I, I don't know. Actually, well, I do know. I, I will say this won't end up as number one on my list. And no, it won't be *Die Another Day* before people roll their eyes at that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I just, I just think that if right now I wasn't doing these podcasts and it's a Sunday afternoon, I'm like, I'm going to watch a James Bond movie, but I'm not going to watch a Brosnan one. Um, I would, you know, after the Daltons, uh, I'd probably, put, maybe this wouldn't be the first one I'd choose, but no, like, I I would put this up there as one that I it's would...
1: There's so much good in here. This is James Bond. Yeah. So, yes.
0: Yeah. I completely agree, and just as a closing comment on Spy love me, I mean, I think that you said it all, no, I mean, this is close to a perfect Bond movie, and I think the reason I wouldn't put it above From Russia With Love and Honor, Majesty's Secret Service is just because the good in those movies is so strong. And I do think that there are a few more flaws in this one, uh, but nothing that's unforgivable. And I just really quickly want to talk about the score. Like, we briefly talked about the, the score for this movie. When I first saw it, I thought the music in this movie was bad. Because the first thing you're introduced to is the cheesy disco track for, you know, the, the ski, <laughs> the ski chase. sequence. And... That's the funny thing is, is that, you know, as, as cheesy as that is and as dated as it is, you listen to that now and it's pretty good action music. But if you can ignore that and a few of the dated, you know, 70s sounds, the score for this movie is so epic. And the only one it really reminds me of is um, uh, Skyfall, where it's just the music sounds bigger than the movie. It sounds like something that belongs in Lawrence of Arabia or something like that. And
1: uh underwater uh, classic music.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that the interesting thing is that Marvin Hamlisch, who did the score, he had just come off of a movie called The Sting, which you know most people would know the music from The Sting if they heard it, but it's very traditional and very old school. And this was I think pretty there's much the a first lot of time. the
1: police in that film, isn't
0: there? The police, like the band,
2: yeah. Sting. 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 Oh,
0: oh,
3: oh
1: Jake I fell flat. Bad I th- yeah, I
0: thought you were talking seriously for a second. When Australian will... humor goes over Canadians' heads, I apologize.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Canadian humor is, you're fat, you suck at ranking. It's light.
0: Oh
1: yeah, you're so
3: fat. Because
0: Marvin Hamlitch came on to do, you know, probably was uh, assumed like the Sting, he was going to be doing this very traditional music, almost 20s, 30s style is what he was known for. And he kind of was the first one to take a modern sound into bond and you know, this sounds like a 1977 score, but it doesn't sound like Saturday night fever. So um, <laughs> I, we talked about Ken Adam being an unsung hero. And I think that Marvin Hamlet's score here is so incredible, especially in scenes like the pyramid scene and uh, you know, the, the car chase and everything. And I, I think that that really is one of the things that makes this movie bigger than it would have been. Otherwise,
2: the only thing it is missing is at the end of it is that for it to go. ah
0: ah ah, ah <laughs> never
1: <laughs> Staying alive when Anya doesn't kill him.
3: Nobody does it better. Nobody does it better. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well,
0: it is interesting. Like, Ben, you're, you'll get into the box office in a second. I'll say something after that. But why don't you do the box office
2: Saturday? Uh Sure. But it's... <laughs> don't start thinking no we'll yeah, use that as an intro. Um before inflation so what it actually made it only made $46,838,000 uh, making it the 16th highest uh, ever mind you though it did make $26,000,000 more than Man with a Golden Gun and um, 46 million puts it just below a view to a kill and just above diamonds are forever. Adjusted for inflation, it's actually not that much of an improvement. 15th, 176 million, just below octopussy and just above live and let die. Um, and in terms of our dear friend, Peter Travers, um, he puts it <sighs> at, uh, 8th. He puts it at, um, oh, just, bad. uh, ahead of thunderball. And this one's gonna hurt. Colin, just below You Only Live Twice.
0: Oh. <laughs> what? Which is ridiculous. But here's the explanation for it. We have this coming out in 1977, and a little movie that comes out maybe a month or two beforehand that nobody expected would become a hit called Star
2: Wars comes out. Oh, what's that one? The f-
0: <laughs> it's the uh, one with I'll the, the it Max Rebo stop. band. Du, 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 you know, the Cantina band. Uh, I'll have to look it up. Um, and in it? I- <laughs> that has to, yeah, and Tom's in it. Tom, the security guard. Uh, but that has to be mentioned too because this was such a huge year for movies. I mean, if you're looking it's at worldwide, gross, you had love Star Lost. Wars, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and Saturday Night Fever. These massive movies that outgrossed Spy love Me. But really, Spy love Me was right up there as one of the highest-grossing movies of the year. The only difference is it was the only one that really came out around Star Wars. So if you look at the highest-grossing movies of 1977. The only one that was out during the summer that Star Wars could compete with was Spy Who Loved Me. So the fact that Spy Who Loved Me did as well as it did in direct competition with Star Wars, I mean, this must have been considered like bigger than You Only Live Twice at the time because it's incredible for it to have made that much money with the competition of Star Wars, the biggest movie in history.
1: And, well, the Star Wars ties will continue, but that's James (laughs) Bond problem, not for your eyes, only. Oh, Lord, are we really up to that already?
2: So,
0: do um, we want to talk I've about, just, for your eyes only, I mean, Moonraker, or do we have
1: anything <laughs> Well, I've forth? just got a quick question for you, Colin. You don't want to spoil it, but obviously, how many we've got? We've got 14 left. Do we, um, you've got 13. a third, 13, uh, Spectre, Spectre, Spectre? Oh, well, if yeah.
2: we, yeah, okay, Spectre, 14, sorry. <laughs> Ow.
1: Um, <laughs> You're fat! You can't write no, this! Yeah, I I know, like Colin, Canadian, really late-night late but... <laughs> Canadian <in Patrick. laughs> Um, so, you've got a third. Do you see this? Don't want to spoil it, but surely there's no way this makes it out of your top 10.
0: No. Um, at this Phew. point, again, and I'm not going to give too much away, but this may not make it that far out of my top five, to be honest, because I've always been a bigger fan of these first 10 movies, I'd say, or yeah. uh, I would say the first six movies and Spy Who Loved Me. So, a lot of the ones that are about to come up are not nearly as high as these for me. But well, what about I, c-
2: you? I can't, I'm just going to quickly get in front of Noah there, because I can't think, fathom any of the next, I'm trying to think of our conversations about the the next ones, the next 14, 13 that we've got to do, of any of them that you would put even in your top three. Well, well no,
0: I, I would say there's at least two Brosnans that I'm a big fan of.
2: Oh, yay, there's another one.
0: Uh, at least one more Roger Moore, which is, well, I'll say two more Roger Moore's, but one that I am a huge defender of that we're going to get to very soon, Uh, and another one that's kind of a guilty pleasure for me, which I don't know if those will be top ten ones, or at least one of them will. So we'll have at least a couple of movies before we get to the reboot with Casino Royale that I'll be very fond of.
1: I don't want to spoil anything, but I will say a lot of my top ten, and maybe we should have talked about this at the halfway point, but a lot of my top ten is... Pretty much set in stone, but there's definitely wiggle room. But a lot of these films you see in my top ten now will be in my top ten at the end. But remains to be seen. I've changed opinions on the rewatching.
2: I I think mine will change a bit because there's I'm going to be the odd one out here when a lot of these sort of ones that we've got to do will make into my top ten that I know won't make it. Although I'm I'm intrigued. I think with Colin and the Brosnan. Um, connections, because I I know there's a Brosnan film which I have very, very, very highly on my list, which I assumed I was going to get laughed down at, but I've sub- subsequently learnt that, Colin, you might be on the bandwagon with me on that film, so I'm looking forward to getting to that You've stage. You've got a lot
1: to listen to, listeners. Oh,
2: we're so dramatic pausing ourselves. <laughs> and we're fat. <laughs>
0: um so do we want to give a quick uh preview of our opinions of moonraker um <laughs> yep. uh, you're laughing already but i know that all of us are i'll just try to say this i know that all of us are at least slight defenders of this and i think that moonraker is one of those movies that opinions are slowly coming around on now, i don't think this is ever going to be a movie that's considered the best but i remember when i first started watching the bond movies you know I'd say in between World Is Not Enough and Die Another Day is the internet. You know, I was starting to get access to the internet and everything. I saw a lot of opinions. And Moonraker was always like, this is the worst Bond movie ever made. And some people are starting to look a little bit more positively on it now, or I guess the more positive aspects. And there are a lot of really cheesy things in here. But I think what most people forget is that aside from the last maybe 15 minutes to take place in space this isn't like James Bond in space. This is a standard Bond movie, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of the elegance and class that we've seen in Bond of the Past comes back in Moonraker with some locations he goes to, the, the types of characters we see. Uh, we don't have a great Bond girl, but I always think that if you take the last 15 minutes out of this movie and you replace it with just a boring climax like from Diamonds Are Forever, that people would probably look on Moonraker and say that it was one of the stronger Roger Moore movies. So... Uh, I'm not going to be like a huge defender of this, but I am going to be a bigger defender than most people that you'll run it- run across.
1: Um, I'm a Moonraker apologist. Uh, you can probably see by Diamonds Are Forever is my second film on here that I, I'm not don't have an allergic reaction to goofy Bond films like so many people get so uptight about it. Like, oh my god, they can't do that! It's so stupid. Um, But I definitely recognise a lot of the flaws and a lot of the craziness in this film. It's kind of the black sheep of the series, Um, the gondola scene. uh, Yeah, it's one thing I can't shake off. But I have always enjoyed this movie. I think it's fun if you just get over some of the stupid stuff and some really disappointing stuff like Jaws. Um, It is still a fun movie. I can tell you right now it's not going to... Be the top of my list, but I'm probably going to have a higher than a lot of Bond fans. I'm, so it's going to be a bipolar one for me to talk about next week, because there's a lot of bad stuff and a lot of good stuff in my eyes. But Ben, on the other hand... James Bond goes to space.
2: Let's just sit on that for a moment and realise... No, that no that dramatic <laughs> pauses. Are
0: that's we going to sit on it for 15 minutes, because that's the only time he spends in space? <laughs>
2: that's what we're about to talk about. Like, look... This was probably, um, outside of the Brosnan films, this one was the the first Moore film I saw. I think I saw this before I saw Eddie Connery films. Because, again, my dad, like, as he's trying to go back and watch these ones, oh, this one's cool. James Bond goes to space. And like, as I'm like 12, like that doesn't bother me. But like now I'm a lot older and it kind of does. Um, yeah, I'm not a Moonraker fan. I've seen it a lot. I just... Yeah, I I understand he's only in space for the last bit, but the fact that this film was directly made because of the huge success of Star Wars, like, you know, I'm just waiting now for the James Bond vampire film, um, (laughs) the James Bond goes to Middle Earth film, um, like, uh, yeah, let's just get on with it, and let's get to it, it's Moonraker, James Bond's going to space, we get it, Woo.
0: And we're going to be back to disagreeing, that means. So,
2: well, I will anybody... say, you, oh, sorry, Colin, to interrupt, but like Noah says he likes these sort of over-the-top... I like my over-the-top Bond films. I mean, I rank you only live twice highest out of all of us, and I like Die Another Day. So it's not that I don't like this type of James Bond film, but... Uh...
0: I think this is going to be one where we're all going to actually agree on every point. It's just we're going to be taking a different position, very much like Diamonds Are Forever, where I remember you, Noah, were I was saying things like, this is a terrible scene, and you're like, it is a terrible scene, but it's kind of like a really fun, terrible scene. It's funny because it's bad, and like I think that we're going to run into a lot of that with Moonraker here, where we'll agree on the points that are bad, but it's just maybe no one I can forgive him, and Ben won't, but I think it'll be a <laughs> really interesting one to discuss, because we're coming off of basically agreeing on the last three movies, I'd say, on most points, and here we're going to get a differing opinion, so it should be a fun one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Alright So we've reached the end of The Spy Who Loved Me And we have not solved the mystery of who the spy is And who they loved. So send us your theories Comment That's to cute. our posts uh, Comment to our wall uh, On Facebook uh, Follow us on Twitter uh, Send us any comments you have We love to hear them uh, We're loving the feedback we're getting about the show so far as well So um, hopefully we'll have a couple of other episodes To do outside no, of the movies not. Before we reach the end of the decade yeah, and uh Make sadly we're sad at the, the, the end best. here and uh i am dramatic pause <laughs> colin
1: <calls> <laughs> i am fat <laughs> 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 <My name's Noah. laughs> and
2: uh, i am ben. Nobody does it.
0: <laughs> thank you for dropping in for a quick bite i have a message for you you're just a little bit. Well, tell him to pull out.
3: I need it tears to your eyes. But
0: James, I need you.
3: So does England. Nobody does, it bats <laughs> And I'm a naked woman in cellar with a gun, spinning round.
1: James Bond, and the woman is Major Masova, a Russian agent. A British agent in love with a Russian agent our no business and your people get killed. Then, when this mission is over, I will kill you.
3: I had lunch, but I seem to have misdeserved. I didn't realize you had such
2: a healthy appetite. He just dropped in for a quick bite. That's try reverse that's backwards. Women are unversed.
3: Shake, but not stirred. Where's Pekish? Pyramids. Ah! What a helpful chap. I wasn't looking. <laughs> somehow you found me. Uh, oh, a Bush. Can you play any other two? By creating a world. A new and beautiful world beneath the sea. Life under the sea is better than anything they got up there. I just got this signal from the Pentagon. Destroy Atlantis fast. Yes. I need an hour. What? Well, that comes from the top! Forty minutes! Okay, one hour. Forty minutes! You got a date? Egyptian builders? Take care of this equipment. Hugh, have I ever let you down? Frequently. the matter, sailor. You never see a major taking a shower before?
0: I want that ready for
3: Eggman's
2: tea party.
3: When one is in Egypt, one should delve deeply into its treasures.
1: Tom, what do you think you're doing?
3: Keeping the British hand up, sir. Out like heaven,
1: a meeting with a naked woman walking on the top of a gun. Completely billy-bollocks. Baby, you're the best!
3: Hope you enjoyed the show. Good night. Mamma mia, che è successo! Oddio, tutto distrutto!